I am the very missy of a modern not a hate watch show. I love the apple, hate the minions, which annoys our licks we know. We're traveling on the Sorkin Street, Tom Jeter, I would like to blow. We're watching <laughs> Studio 60 on this not a hate watch episode. It's not a hate watch on the Missy Information Superhighway, starring Roxy Hart, Velma Kelly, Birdie J, Bugs, Vivian Ward, Gabby and her bottle of syrup, Jupiter Jones, Queen of the Bees, the Nada Newscast anchors, Alex Levy and Bradley Jackson, with a digital short from Kevin, Stewart, and Bob. Tonight, featuring a comedic monologue and firearms display by Arthur Fleck. Musical guests, Josie and the Pussycats. And your hosts, Alice and Missy. Ladies and gentlemen, Pandy Dandy and the All Bim Band, play us the theme! I'm stunned. I'm, stunned. I'm, I'm just stunned. I put more work into that than I did into my actual work all week. I am so pleased, so pleased with that. Welcome, everyone, to what is a very... It's such an honor to be hosting Not A Hate Watch. I grew up listening to this show, and, you know, just to to be here with all of you is so incredible. It's really great to be here on the Girls Have Fire... On the Missy Information Superhighway here on a Thursday, Friday night. It's really fantastic. Uh, to be hosting here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Alice, we are here yeah. to celebrate. This is a celebration of a discovery of uh, of what some of some of you in the audience, I'm sure, have seen since, uh, if you're fans of the George Lucas Talk Show, the marathon of it. But my God, Studio 60, what an amazing show. Yeah. I, I really like the back half a lot more than I did before. I think I was thinking about it, and I think it's because it had gotten just so much bad press, and the ratings had flatlined. Uh, I looked it up; they didn't actually know they they didn't announce that it was canceled until after the show the season finished. But I'm pretty sure they knew because I, I I still think that I still think some of the performances are a little phoned in. But um, yeah, I, I think you know in the this set of episodes are the ones that I don't revisit as often, but I enjoyed them all. I think even more than I did the first time I watched them. Yeah, this was a very good batch of episodes. I think part of what throws it off is that the first half is all episodic and it is sort of like going through and like each episode is its own thing. Like the story pans together, but these last back half have a lot of like three part episodes or like really like a lot of interconnected Mm -hmm. things where we're staying in the same night, you know, for multiple episodes uh, at a time. So I think maybe some people the pacing threw them off. I do know um, having rewatched parts of the George Lucas talk show marathon, um, extended parts um, of it, that they did, in fact, know that they got the nine back half order as well as the show would not be picked up at the same time. So yeah. they did know um, going into uh-huh. it. So you're right. Okay. Um, yeah. I can confirm that one of the people that at least was named as being over it by the time it was done was uh, Amanda Pete. 
Uh, and yeah. part yeah. of it, she was not happy that Aaron Sorkin wrote about uh, uh, an extended section where she could her character could possibly lose her baby because Amanda Pete was pregnant at the time and oh, did not appreciate going into that. So yes, uh, yeah, she, she's not in the show very much, especially the last couple episodes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and th that might be part of the reason for that. We'll see. But yes, um, I enjoyed these. I didn't. I, I don't know if I didn't enjoy them as much as the first half. I enjoyed them differently than the yeah. half. That's what I think part of it is, is that you have to take in the shift and know that um, a lot of what we're dedicated to is sort of still getting some themes in that Sorkin clearly wanted to write about, but also mm -hmm. giving time for a lot of these storylines to play out. Like none of the ending storylines yeah. felt rushed. They certainly did wrap everything up while still leaving, you know, story mm -hmm. left to be, to be had at the end. But I don't feel like... Uh, it's not like one of those shows where it gets canceled and there's no conclusion and right. it's like a cliffhanger or like, well, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of the major things aren't resolved. It's like, no, it resolves a lot of the stuff that it wants to talk about. Some of it weirdly, yeah. you know, but it does resolve it all. Um, um, so, yeah, that's that's I, the stories in the back half, I think, are a, lot, a little darker. Like you actually get into the yeah. t Tom's brother in Afghanistan. You get into like Matt and, and Harriet having that huge fight. Um, the the addiction that Matt goes through yeah. and stuff and like yeah and so it's like I think I think that also just kind of weighs on the back half maybe maybe it got darker because they knew they weren't coming back but um, yeah I feel like yeah I kind of think this was something that there are definitely themes that Sorkin was going through in his personal life that I think mm -hmm. he would have injected into the script maybe over a longer period of time but because they knew they had the wrap up that mm -hmm. they just sort of like, you know, uh, got it put in there quickly and just, you know, did it. Yeah. I mean, and it's so interesting because I feel like um, in most of Sorkin's shows, um, other than the West Wing, they've all been on the cusp of getting canceled or, or not renewed. Um, Sports Night, that was definitely a thing. Like, they gave them a very mm. late renewal order because the show it, it wasn't building, wasn't getting ratings, but it was very critically lauded. Um, and then so they gave them a second season and then they canceled after the second season. But that was also because Sorkin couldn't keep up with that in the West Wing. West Wing was the only one that really took off right, right out of the gate. Um, Studio 60 kind of bombed right out of the gate. Newsroom bombed right out of the gate. I think there are like three or four seasons of the Newsroom. But I think that was more just because it's HBO. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he tends to be pretty good about ending the first season at a place where if it doesn't come back, you're okay. Okay, and like, and, and there are and there are some stuff that he, that's still set up for, for you know in, in a theoretical second season. I mean, I think the, the the back nine episodes we've got would be different anyway. But like, um, there's still some, there's still plenty of fertile ground to, to plant story around you know everyone in the around the characters on Studio sixty especially. Yeah, I agree. Um, do we want to start diving in to the episodes yeah. of this season? The first one being Monday, which takes place as the show prepares um, for their New Year show. And Danny uh, is, it basically begins with Danny really going after Jordan hard. Like, near stalker-ish. If we didn't like the character, we would be very weirded out by his actions uh, hard, yeah. Um, what did you think of the Danny and Jordan like relationship and some of the criticism I saw is that it moved pretty fast, but also I didn't really, I, cause it takes place over a period of time. I didn't really feel like it was 
that fast, given the context well, of the two people's characters. Yeah, yeah. They, they, I mean, they work together. They're probably seeing each other multiple times a week. Um, he's like, I thought I like. I remember being so like on such a high coming off that Christmas episode, and then the the next episode starts, and he's just calling her nonstop, and I was just like, oh god, you're fucking ruining it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I really didn't think you know they got me with the will they or won't they is what I'll say. Um, it's not that episode, but in much later episodes when they actually get together, and that was like. I, I I really did feel like he was he was he was making mistakes and like he was gonna have to have a similar thing that 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 Matt was going through with Harriet. Yeah, I maybe that's I think what some people's issue was is that it did get kind of resolved in a positive way based on that. But like, mm-hmm. really, they go through the character of Jordan drawing a line. Like she mm-hmm. pretty is adamant that she's not as she into should. This. Yeah, exactly. She 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 is her superior. Well, and I I, I know it happens throughout the episode, but we ha- since we're talking about it, um, the fact that he gets like letter referential letters from yes. colleagues and other people that it's as if he was like trying to get admittance into you know a grad program except the grad program is her pants yeah so this is a very sorkin sorkin thing actually what i will say is throughout this back half i felt like i could see the sorkin references left and right like the things he does repeatedly in different shows um the i'm gonna do a grand gesture that that involves a bunch of things that's gonna that's gonna win win this person back and it blows up in their face that's like in every one of his shows do you think that's because sorkin had to go through a lot of these things and since he's such a like calculated not i'm not saying calculated in like a manipulative way but like calculated in that he he's building the theater you know what i mean it's always I about moments yeah. and things yeah i don't think it's i i think it's him being wise enough to be like that's that is the like romantic comedy style thing that is you know nicholas cage standing outside the window with a boom box and it, it doesn't work it's not real and so that's why um that's why she, that's why um it always blows up in the in the character's face. Yeah, it's very. Like, I, I think it's I think it's him satirizing what might be a stereotypical like rom- romantic plotline. Very true. Uh, and well, and then Jordan, as if she didn't have enough, uh, they're bringing on a head of I don't know what it was called, but basically like a reality show person. Oh, alternative programming. She was the vice president yeah. of alternative programming, Haley. Um, who vice program of a little illiterate program? Yeah, <laughs> uh, slam Jordan, uh, and it's just clear from the get go that she, like she is not having it either with Haley, yeah. and just yes. has that low tolerance for LTV and doesn't th- like again for trying to strive for net like moral work. superiority. Yes, exactly. Coming from a place of that, where meanwhile, of course, uh, everyone coming from the board. What is Stephen Weber's character's name again? I'm blinking. Jack, Jack Rudolph. Is Jack from Thirty Rock? So fast I was with that. So fast I was with that. I didn't even look it up. Yeah, Jack is pushing it because the board wants that on there, and it right. helps with sales. Like sales will always yeah. approve a reality show. Like they, it's sort of a, a tiny rehash of what they did earlier when she rejected that one guy's reality show. Um, yeah. But the difference is, this is someone coming in from the network, and she's not going to be able to like fully say no to her. Even mm-hmm. because of all the inner machinations, but she she still puts her foot down to begin with, which kind of puts her foot in her mouth yeah. with a lot of people. Yeah, 
I mean, again, very, very Sorkin thing to do is to have the wisecracking character wisecrack to the wrong person. Like, she can wisecrack to Danny and Matt, but if she wisecracks to this person she's meeting for the first time, doesn't go so well, right? Oh, and Um, and speaking of crack, like, there is the moment where she makes that crack joke very early on. Uh, and at the at the announcement of her of her oh, yeah. uh, of Matt and Danny getting on and basically her debut, and she says, "Oh, it's because I spoke on crack." So we already know, like she can like just not be appropriate at the time where it needs to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so a couple things. I I it occurred to me this time. It didn't really occur to me the first time I watched it. It occurred to me this time. It was like, oh, immediately this is this is Jordan's replacement. This is who they're going to replace Jordan with in the corporate structure. Yes. I didn't get that the last time. Um, oh, and, and like it, it, yeah. Well, I mean, like it comes out later. Like I mean, in this episode specifically, it comes out later. But like, ha, ha, like, like how big of a threat she is to Jordan's character at that moment is, I don't, I don't think I fully understood that. Um, yeah. It's Jack basically parading that in front of her as a threat and being like, we, we already have, we can have another you. We can have someone who meets your demographics because she's another white woman. So like, we can just shuffle you away and you're already in like, this is also a position that like, it's clear that it's also not just Jack, but it's probably people in the board have been also whispering. Yes. Because we get that part with uh, everyone's favorite weasel, Kurt Fuller, uh, with the board meeting and stuff. Um, and he's they're just sorting the setup with the conflict between him and Ed Asner and Jack and all their desires and everything like that. And because of the FCC, mm-hmm. uh, or is it the point where the FCC is getting involved? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Been, no, yes. that, that was that was right after the FCC. Thing, yes, yes, yes. Which kind of gets dropped. Like yeah. At, well, I mean, after the charity dinner, after the charity dinner, that storyline and the Macau thing gets completely dropped. But um, but yeah, I, I the other thing I wanted to say was um, Sorkin always has a tall, pretty blonde villain. In his shows, oh. in uh, studio say or in um, sports night, it was it was Sally who's the producer who wants to take Dana's job. In um, West Wing, this is this is less of it, but in West Wing there was Ainsley Hayes who is the Republican lawyer in the Democratic White House, um, and then um, and then then yeah, then you've got um, the the head of rea- head of um, you know reality programming here. It never really occurred to me that that's, that that is very much a running theme. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Um, trying to think of what else happens in this episode, actually, because the wiki doesn't say all that much. Uh, oh, the online bidding. Meanwhile, yes. boss sexy, boss sexy. Oh God, yes. In the background of this boss sexy, there is a online bidding war between Matt and uh, who he thinks is Phil Lucas five 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 or something like that. Yes. Which he, uh, I think it's 5858, but regardless, it eight, is, yeah. um, yes. who he thinks is Luke, uh, Luke Scott, uh, who we learned during the course of the season was a fellow writer on yes. Studio 60. I didn't know if we knew that before. Um, also, also, once again, hashtag self suck dad. Yeah. Oh, uh, God. And so. I kept uh, screaming at my TV every time he came on screen. It was great. Oh, my <laughs> oh God. You all by now have heard my reaction to that, so. Um, okay, uh, so they're getting in the bidding war, and the yep. issue is is that it is a, uh, a a bidding war to go to a charity dinner in honor of Harriet, and it's being put yes. on by a conservative religious group that well, she look, had previously offended. Um, 
Yes and no. It's it's being sponsored by a Catholic group, mm-hmm. and in and in conjunction with the group that she offended, and because there's that whole runner about like, well, you're not actually Catholic. Why are you getting an award? She's like, you like me? Yes, yes. And it's so it's obviously you know an anti-abortion place, and Matt is very much uh, pro-choice, and so it becomes an issue where. The higher he's bidding, he basically has made the decision he's going to give that much to a left-leaning organization that has to match it, but they, they can't figure out what organization it is. Uh, Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood. I mean, yeah, that would have been an obvious one, but it can't be that simple. Uh, that's not as, that's not funny. So, uh, yeah. so they have the bidding war between that, and that's really the main plot line that Matt's going through throughout all this, and also yeah. trying to put on the show. Uh, with uh, special guest Masioka uh, or Masioka? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we should talk about that. So, so Masioka from Heroes. This was this was right when Heroes. I believe this was the same year Heroes season one was on TV. Yes. So they were still huge. Um, Masioka also. I, this may not mean anything to you, Missy, but I was really surprised by this. Um, he founded a video game studio and publisher, and they are the studio that that put out. Um, the Outer Wilds, which was a game that was oh. really, like, really, really, like, like, like critically lauded. Um, it's it's a great game. I I just didn't know it was like, oh, Masioka made a video game studio and he, and they made a really good game. So that's awesome. Yeah, I've heard of it. I've not played it, but I, the name sounds familiar. So that is something that mm-hmm. I did not know. Yeah, yeah, he's also. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, he, so here's what's interesting about it is that, as you mentioned, he's from Heroes. I It was very noticeable to me that a large majority of the celebrities they were actually able to book were ones that had NBC shows that were happening mm-hmm. at the time or related to it. So for me, again, that was the weird, also weird layer of how NBC and Saturday Night Live exist in this universe because they're clearly just pulling N- NBC celebrities uh, to do it on the NBS yes. Uh, shows. Yes. Um... Yeah, and then the other thing I had to say was that Sarah Paulson actually does the dolphin noise. Oh, yes. Uh, that like, is absolutely – I could tell that was her, and I love it. It's better than her bear noise. I couldn't – I couldn't – I had always assumed it was just a sound effect, and then I looked it up, and I was like, no, she's doing it on The Tonight Show and stuff. So Can I do a it's dolphin real. noise? Let me think. No. <laughs> Not quite, but it's there's something there. It's closer. Yeah. Um – yeah, I thought this was a real fun – it was real fun, and I didn't know it was the setup for another episode until we end with Danny and Jordan uh, locked out on the roof. Yep. And then we go into the Harriet Dinner Part 1, which also has a Part 2. So at the Harriet Dinner, there's a lot of different things going on. Uh, one yeah. is – Matt realizing uh, that the person he was bidding against was not, in fact, Luke Scott, but was a 15-year-old X Games uh, skateboard champion who who loves Luke Skywalker and Lucas Ranch. All all you George Lucas talk show fans probably already know this is that five eight five eight. Uh, uh, whatever you know, place uh, street is on, um, and so that's the reason. And Matt is realizing this as the person's naming it all. He's like, "Oh no, it's not because of his independent film Fifty Eight <laughs> that that Luke Scott did." Um, so he now and Harriet knows obviously right away that he's the one that did it. Now the organization wants him to make a speech because he well, donated they- so much money for it. 
Well, but no, no. They want him to introduce Harriet because because Jordan isn't there. Oh, the that's right. Yes, yeah, so that's the reason why he wants to do it. Um, mm -hmm. And so his whole – one of his whole things is him trying to figure out what to say because he wants to do an introduction that isn't implicitly – you know, endorsing an endorsement of, organization yeah. and all that. Um, meanwhile, Danny and Jordan are on the roof and they can't get cell service because this was back at a time where, yeah, I guess you couldn't get cell service on a roof. I, I Well, so you can't get – there's pockets of Hollywood that you can't get cell service in today with 5G, and they had 2G back then. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that is – that's, that's an LA thing where people in LA were like, yep. Um and so they yeah, that, are, that was not surprising. Yeah, so they're up there hashing out their relationship. Like, and most of the time we cut back to them, it is them just talking about uh, where Danny is and how he knows that he's open to being in a relationship with her and wants to be the dad to her child and know like he's basically like I have thought through all the different aspects of this relationship that you are saying. Are, would be barriers or whatever, but like mm -hmm. I want to make it work, and Jordan just basically yeah, kind of going through and talking about she's not sure she's ready, especially because right. like she's single mom, single mom, hard 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 job. Her ex husband yeah. or not ex husband, ex, yeah. ex husband is writing the tell all book and talking about like yes. you know the group sex shows they would go see and other things like that where it was just a you know she's basically like I'm damaged goods. It's very much the I'm damaged goods and I'm too damaged for you to do right now and also just too busy and so used to doing my own thing that I don't know if I want uh, a person in my life because who knows where I'm going to be a year from now, five years from now, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I, again, I think that that episode, those episodes really pulled a, a trick on me when, because at the end of the episode two, it's revealed that Jordan has slipped Danny a note that says, I'm crazy about you. Um, and yeah, I just remember feeling so, so delighted by that. Yeah, it really was. It, and I think those episodes gave me a time to kind of understand. Like, I just felt like, yeah, they would have a connection. And I could see them getting together from this and it doesn't feel so... I love you. I mean, I've also watched, you know, 11 episodes. So what? Uh, yeah. That's 444 minutes of these people, uh, 484 minutes of these people uh, setting up anyway. So yeah, I, I'm totally on board. Yeah, and I think like they 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 kind of references later that they both like had attraction to one another from what right when they first met, and so it didn't seem that like it didn't seem like it was moving that quickly at least at this part of the season. Yeah. So one of the intertwined parts of the Harriet dinner that is also a continuation of the theme from uh, Nevada Day on, which is the Chinese businessman, his family, and his viola playing daughter that wants to be a impromptu comedian. And she, um, and or mostly just wants to sleep with Tom Jeter. I mean, yes. Tom asked Lucy out on a date on a Friday night, but then yep. Jack Rudolph comes in and says, hey, no, you are going to go on a date with Kim and you're going to tell her how much improv sucks and it's a terrible life and it's awful. And you better be on your best behavior because you're representing uh, not just the show, but you're representing the network and also that as and stuff, blah, 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 blah. And so Tom has to, like a, like a dumb dumb, but also for great comedy of errors set up, 
gives a lie to Lucy and says that, oh, he has to go to this dinner where the they use, like, some of the actors and, and people within the network as, like, uh, celebrity waiters. And he has to go around and be a, a waiter. And she's like, oh, okay. You know, yeah, we can reschedule. I get it. You know, that these things just happen. Um, and that's his excuse to get in there. At the dinner, when he is uh, with her, she... <laughs> She's sitting with all the other cast members and Tom, and she just starts to get like wasted right away. Yeah, and she's downing tequila oh, like left and right. God, yes, and she's looking at her best life, but she's throwing herself at Tom. Yes, and he is—he's—he's he's being a good boy. He's not—he's not taking advantage. Oh, he yes, is, he's trying to—he is actively trying to help her when she doesn't want his help. Yeah. Oh, yes, and uh, these names are impossible for me to remember. And Simon is there as well, and he's like, this is a hot young woman. Like, Tom, what are you doing with this hot young woman? And, like, you need to, like, I don't know what your hangup is, but, like, uh, you know, she's there. And Tom, Tom tells him about the things that are going on and how he has, you know, he wanted to be on a date with Lucy, but he has to do this. So he's just not interested in it, but he doesn't know what to do. So he, he's like, well, I'll help you, you know, sort of. Be your wing- take care of this girl. Yeah, be your wingman. Yeah. Take care, take care of her, and everything like that. Because, because, because Tom's really worried that he's gonna look. It's gonna look like the optics are he got this girl really drunk and took advantage of her. Exactly. So uh, this is sort of bleeding into part one, and part two. But I think it's hard to talk about these plot lines without just sort of going in and out of both of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. She gets so drunk that she passes out before Tom can give the whole like talk about how terrible improv comedy is. So they then have to mm-hmm. take her back to the green room. Uh, no, to her hotel. No, well, they 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 want to take her back to her hotel, but they don't know which hotel she's staying at. Yes. So they take her to Studio Sixty just to to sober up. Um, there's a joke. I think it was when Tom is talking to Tom and Simon are talking to Jack Rudolph, where it's like she had a tequila, like she had a lot of tequila, and then someone says that would be a lot if they were Jose Cuervo. That's a, that's also a very Sorkin joke. Like that would be a lot if they were person associated with the thing. Uh, I love. He's a, he's a person who loves a reference. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so then he's in there, and Jack comes in, and he notices, and he's trying to help get it all set up too, because he doesn't want the the deal to fall through, and he's worried that uh, drunk Kim is going to tell off her parents, and he's mm-hmm. going to lose the business deal. Yeah. Uh, uh, minor note. I forget what episode is in. He he goes and flies to um, meet them as they're getting out of a performance by Kim. Yes. Um. In San Francisco, and he, um, I think it's San Francisco. Maybe it's New York. Um, and and he's he's so he's he, he's talking through uh, a translation from the 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 wife, his the the uh, excuse me, Kim's mother. And so they're like him, the mother and Kim are both translating for him. Um, that's important because it, it it's it's relevant in a second. Yes, that is true. Um, and uh, in well, and in that moment, also the father speaks uh, a couple sentences in English to Jack after the end of the translation. And everything, so he's like, "Oh, so you know a little bit of English, you know." No, he says he says um, Jack says man to man to him in 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 um, Mandarin, and then he and then he says man to man in English. Oh yes, um, and. Uh, he then comes back. Eventually, the parents are called in, and because he yeah. oh, because he basically says, "You are so hammered, I'm calling your parents." And she says, "No, don't call him. Don't call him." He's like, "I, yeah. I am a father. 
I am, uh, I am, uh, and the other ones are like, you're going to ruin the business deal if you do this. Like, you can't see them. They're going to get, you're going to realize that we didn't take care of her and she's drunk. He's like, I don't care. I'm a dad. If this was my daughter, I would want that phone call. I'm calling mm-hmm. her parents. Deal be damned. So they arrive and they see the state of their daughter and they're just disappointed in her. They're actually not necessarily mm-hmm. that disappointed in, in the situation. Yeah, they're they, they see, they know, they know her. They're not trying to cover for her reputation oh, or whatever. Yes. It is instant parent disappointment, and she starts to tell him off. And um, it is then revealed that the father knows English and has known it the entire time, and he's been using it yes, as a speak. test to basically see what people are saying. People say what well, to see what people are saying when they think he can't understand them. Yes, and uses that as a tactic. He's, he speaks very fluent English. Oh yes, very fluent. It's it's not it's it's not like oh broken or whatever. It's like he's just talking now in full English, mm-hmm. and he basically says, "You are have shown yourself to be a man of integrity, and we will if if we uh, give you the money, will you fight the FCC lawsuit against you?" And we will go through with the business deal and we'll basically help you yeah. through this because you were honest with us because you didn't try uh-huh. and ever yep. do it by deception, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just works out well. And you're right. It's, it's dropped after this. You mentioned it earlier, but that's the last yeah. we sort of see of all of them. Mm-hmm. I, I, Kim uh, was one of my favorite characters. I mean, I love the parents as well. I love oh. that whole plot. Yeah. But Kim, I thought was delightful. And Julia Ling just sounds like on the talk show, uh, George Lucas talk show episode with her just sounds like a really amazing actress and person. So yeah, mm-hmm. I was really happy that she shone throughout this in a, in a series that again yeah. a lot of she's people, great. Uh, yeah, a lot of people you can you can pe- pick apart a lot of the stuff with with the outside things going on, especially with the main characters and their relationships. But you cannot call her performance or the performance of her parents. That's just a flawless, flawless, like really great she- job. She played drunk really well, which I know is very hard for actors to do. Oh, yes. I really believe, like, it, it was one of those things where I was forgetting it was an actress acting like she was drunk. I just was like, ooh, that girl's had a lot to drink. She's very, very wasted right now. It was, yeah, delightful. Really good. The Another subplot within it is the fact of who is getting invites to this and where. And as we set up earlier with the lie with Tom Jeter, of course... Lucy and Darius get invited to the show because enough people didn't come, and Lucy runs into Tom with uh, Kim. Who's in a really slutty dress. Um, she's still coherent at this point. She hasn't passed out. Yes. And so it just it just looks the worst for Tom. Exactly. So he has to go and mend his relationship with that and try and all sort it out. And it also is, a, it's really funny because when Lucy confronts him about it, she says, like, did you not think there was a possibility that I could come here? And Tom was kind of like, no, because they only invite your level of people when, like, other people just don't come. So Yeah, yeah you're, you're too a... low on the pay scale to, yeah. to, get an, to be guaranteed an invite to this thing. Like, he, he sort of was like, that was my logic. And, like, so I'm not just surprised that you're here because of this. I was just surprised that you'd be here at all. Right. Well, and, and and also he then tells her that Jack made him take this girl on the date, which if he just told her to begin with, I think would, probably would have been okay. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. It would, you know, she probably would have been jealous and like been upset, but it would have made more sense. Like because, especially because his excuse yeah. was the network needs me anyways. So just 
yep. tell the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's the misguided of he does like her enough that he didn't want to upset her. But obviously the lie is going to be much more upsetting than just talking it out. Like, communicate. Yeah, but they're on television, so. Well, yeah. Exactly. Like, the lie. Exactly. Like, you, again, you, because it's a comedy of errors, we have to have that part set up. Like, we know comedically why that had to happen. And it was funny. I did yeah. like every oh, bit. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to take this moment because I don't know if we have another one later in the show. Um, Lucy Davis, who plays um, Lucy on the show, mm-hmm. great actress. I love her. She's really good in this. She's really good in like uh, she she was also in the British Office, yes. um, which which I don't like to talk about because of Ricky Gervais. Um, she was in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina as one of the aunts. Um, she's still working today. She I, I looked at her Instagram. She just lives in West Hollywood. Was hanging out. I, I, Part of me wants to go like go to a coffee shop in West Hollywood see if I can find her. Um, <laughs> she's living her best life. I, I I love Lucy Davis. I think she's great. Yes, um, she's was a great. Was she added to the show or did she just become more prominent during it? I just remember the first time she spoke and I heard that British accent. I'm like, where do where have you been? I think she I think she got added. I think she got added in like episodes like four or five or whenever whenever okay. they first get introduced. Uh, yeah, I I think she was a good part. I wish she had a bit more story than just what was revolved Tom Jeter. But at the same yeah. point, you know, as a as a comic relief, um, she was just very very good. And yeah, yeah I well, enjoyed everything I've seen her in. You also do get the storyline of her and Darius like trying to become professional writers, you know, trying to get sketches on the air and stuff. And like. It, uh, one thing I've noticed this time that I didn't really think about last time was it seems like by the end of the season, they are contributing stuff to the, to the thing. Oh yeah. It's not just Matt writing the full 90 minutes. Well, I mean, he's, he's writing the 90 minutes, but like the premises and the ideas and stuff are coming from them too. No, exactly. Yeah. It, it um, yeah, but, it, and, and it's one of the things it's implied that it happens, but I wish we just had the build. But at that point they knew yeah. they, I think at that point they just knew they didn't have the rest of the series. So the, they had to focus on the big mm-hmm. three and uh, the other big three. Well, Big four, I guess, with Matt, uh, Jack, Danny, and Jordan. What does what does Detroit have anything to do with this? <laughs> oh my god! Um, are there any other parts of the? Well, we do, there's one more part about the Harriet dinner we have to talk about, which is Matt's introduction. But are there any other parts? Of no. The Harriet dinner. We, we have to talk about. about the. We have to talk about the fucking ferret. Oh my god! I forgot this was part of this. I completely forgot yeah. this was in here. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a great. Great running gag throughout this with Cal's character, where there is a snake wrangler that is brought in for a commercial. Is it a commercial parody or just a commercial they're filming? It's a it's it's a pre it's a pre tape commercial parody of a video game. It's like the the set is like a graveyard, and and Danny and and, and Cal Cal's like we'll shoot it in the studio, we'll save money, mm-hmm. and and Danny's like no no we should make it real and, and stuff. Um, the guy comes with twenty four pythons and cobras isn't it it's cobras yeah. oh cobras yeah. they're venomous cobras yeah because he kept because because kyle yeah. keeps asking questions of like well they're not lethal right he's like oh no they're 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 vipers they're lethal uh, or cobras they're lethal yeah um and uh-huh. it's vipers or cobras either way uh and then he's like oh but like you know you can the bite won't be that bad well it's like oh it will no it'll be bad it'll blister it'll like all these terrible lists all these terrible things and cal just keeps asking questions to try and like find any sort of positive to it and it's basically you know he's like well let's make it quick then and get this in and out okay <laughs> can't you've already brought the snakes so what am i gonna do yep um and so when they're when they're cleaning up the wrangler bebo only has 23 vipers 
And so there's a viper. And he and he's like, "Is there anywhere in the studio we could? Is there anywhere in the studio we could hide?" And he's like, "It's, it's like a hundred year old building." There's grates all over the place and stuff. He's like, "Oh well, yeah, he's probably loose in the building then." Yes. Um, so what are they gonna do? They get a ferret. Of course, like, ferret goes in, eats the viper. Problem solved. Well, but then the ferret doesn't come back. <laughs> and also, it didn't eat the viper. Yeah. So what are they gonna do to get the ferret? Well, you got to get the coyote. So you got to get the coyote to get the ferret so that you can get the viper. And that's around the time when the, like, the the um, animal control, like, watchdog person shows up because they are not following the um, union rules on having animal actors on set. Yes. And at this point, all three of them underneath there. And then Kyle loses it. He says, yes, I have a coyote and I have a ferret and I'm a snake that are having a Mexican standoff down underneath my stage. So, yeah. And so basically then the lawyer is like, okay, we can either call 911 right now and have you sued and fined for animal cruelty or you can get those things out of that grate immediately within the next like right. yeah i don't remember how long it is like 12 hours whatever it's you know, yeah yeah well, so it, it it was always an option for cal to rip up the floor and and get it and get it redone so they could get the animals out but he didn't want to because it would be really expensive True. and so he ends up like and that and that's like kind of the button on it which is like Danny's like, how much would it have cost to go? How much would it have cost to shoot it out in a real location? Yeah. How much am I paying for this? Yeah. <laughs> like half a million dollars. <laughs> and well, the other great part of it is that when Cal is there, you know, they're basically going to tear up the floor, and Cal comes in to, to give an excuse to everyone and says, "Oh, they just found uh, black mold," and everyone's like, "Black mold!" Especially, black mold. especially um, uh, Mark McKinney's character, uh, who's just obsessing yeah. about it. He's like, "No, it's just a little bit confined, very small." underneath the stage in a very back area in the back of the set it's fine they say you can do it and then he's just walking around uh going black mold you can't have a people around with black mold you get that stuff in your lung once you're dead like this black mold and he's just like obsessed like can't believe that they would be uh not like you know they're not like quarantining the building immediately yes uh but they get all the animals out and everything's okay and they get things ready to go for the rehearsal that's going to be happening yeah, and, and Danny from the roof is like, who is Cal standing next to? And then later is like, oh, it's the it's the it's the snake wrangler. He, why is he here now? Yes. Oh my god, I forgot that bit. Yeah, and they. Yeah, it all it all comes together in that way. I love that. Yeah, it, this is a real, it's a real beautiful job of the story structuring from someone who knows a a, a, a quote good written play. There was a time where that was just a, a, a name for a standard of theater and how things were written, and it hits all the beats, and it really wraps up again. Again, this could be, like, thrown into a farce uh, now in a script, and it would work in a certain way. You know, obviously you'd have to introduce characters and stuff, but having these different situations happen are are great. You know, it, it is just weird to have the hand of Sorkin sort of writing these things out because I think it, it's just like you you talked about earlier his references aren't common vernacular or mainstream so it is going to be you have to get the specific jokes in order for a lot of those things to work but in terms of the, the comedy setup of of the comedy of errors that all works for me like all of that is just really great and really sound and lends them to the sort of emotional impact at the end of this which is when Matt goes to give his introduction and he makes a priest joke. I honestly can't remember it. Do you happen to know off the top of your head 
Alice. Um, um, a, a priest and a rabbi walk into a bar or something. It's something. It's something along those lines. It's but it's meant to be. It's meant to be like one of those old timey jokes that I feel like your grandparents would tell you, and you'd be you'd listen and be like, "That's actually really offensive." Um, do they have the fight in this episode, or is that in the next episode? I think it's this episode. Yes, I believe the fight is during this episode. I think it's right before he goes on, right? Yes. Yeah. So they have the they have a huge blow up fight about how Harriet's mad because he's like, why, like, why can't you just let me be with Luke and be happy? Um, and he and she and he's like, you don't want to be with Luke. And they they go back and forth. They say he um, there's some good there's some good deep cuts in some in some of the remarks there. And I remember thinking just like, oh yeah, no, this is this is like this is like a fight that you don't come back from. But of course they do. It's TV. Oh, of course. Yeah, and that's what the fight plus the reception Jewish joke, which I remember because he even sort of goes like yada yada. He's even like, well, yeah. the, the point of it is, is that at the end the priest says, uh, oh, well, if that's uh, uh, if that's, that's if, uh, that, if this is poverty, I hate to see. Oh yeah, this is poverty. I can't wait to see chastity. Yeah, yeah. And it just everyone's murmuring. It doesn't go over well. And he basically just like after that just goes um. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, Harriet Hayes. Yeah. And just that that's it. And com- completely bombs in a way that we've never seen Matt uh, mm-hmm. behave before or like perform before. So clearly he has been shaken by this experience more than what he was letting on, you know, uh, on the front during it. Yeah. And also, uh, also and Natalie, Natalie Cole sings. Yes. And also, it's a callback to the episode where Harriet can't tell a joke, and Matt's feeding her jokes all episode. Oh yes, exactly. It's the reverse. Um, yes, I I really liked this this series. Again, it was just funny when I was looking at the episode uh, titles beforehand. I didn't realize that Monday would bleed into it, but this is one of the essential three parters that we were talking about, which yeah. I, I love it. But it is, you know. Two hours dedicated to the setups and then dominoes of these different uh, elements yep. of it. So you do have to have the buy-in you're watching every week. But I think the payoffs are, are well worth it. Yes. So the next episode, the Friday Night Slaughter, mm-hmm. is a flashback episode, which we have a lot of flashbacks mm-hmm. during these next uh, few episodes in the back half. And that's sort of... Uh, started here where we're flashing back to where Matt and Harriet first met in 1999. No, I think I'm, I think it was two I think I thought it was 2001. Um uh, Wiki, oh, Wikipedia because, says 1999 okay. is when okay, we first okay. met. And he sort of there's the whole September 11 thing later, so it's, that's why I'm Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um no, cuz yes, definitely they go back to that flashback later because I had some difficulty figuring out that timeline and realized, "Oh, we're flashing back to different times yes. back when they were writers mm-hmm. and stuff yeah. um and it, it's matt trying to get inspiration and trying to get his like brain into writing again so he's trying to remember this fired writer mm-hmm. uh and he's trying to get information from cal and from danny about who was this writer that did xyz yeah uh the the writer was tim batali and he he was kind of like a mentor to matt like early yes. on um, but then, but then, like the first scene that you see him, he's getting he got fired by Wes. Yes, and um, it, uh, it it's when he starts his uh, pain med addiction again um, because of that and the relationship the fight. with yep. Harriet. Yes, the fight, absolutely. And it, uh, it 
we we see a lot of flashbacks in between it all and it's sort of the struggle of them trying to all get the attention of Wes and it's really again we we we, we never see Wes this back half but uh it's one of those things where we see all the various writers struggling to get Wes approval and to get it all and and even to get through Stephen Tobolowski yes to get through Stephen Tobolowski uh, Tobo um, we do not need to do a podcast series on why Tobo, because I get Tobo 100. I love Tobo. Oh, my God. Um, and, Wait, I, uh, can I just tell you a quick story right now? Yeah, give me a Tobo story. Okay, so when I was – this was the 90s when, you know, movies were largely inaccessible, and I had the internet, so I, I was able to look stuff up. Um, and I was also, like, you know – trans but didn't hadn't come out hadn't really understood that about myself so i got i got really obsessed with trying to find this movie which was like dr jekyll and ms hyde which is it's like oh. a it's like it's like a it's it's a dr jack it's 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 a jekyll and hyde story where the the guy when he you know turns into he turns into a sexy woman and then you know they turn back and, and, uh, sexy woman with an agenda and he turns back in, in an opportune times and stuff um but one of the scenes in there was um the the Ms. Hyde character was um, sleep getting ready to have sex. They were doing foreplay with Stephen Tobolowski, and then she goes into the bathroom, and then he switches back to the guy. And that and there's just a bunch of shots of like Stephen Tobolowski, like like I don't know, like making these really ridiculous like like foreplay noises and, and stuff. And that was the first time I ever saw him on a sh- on a show. Beautiful. That's you know what. I think the first way you need to experience him is sexualized, which is why I have a um, a fetish for insurance salesmen uh, and make them repeat a day with me over and over and over. Mm. Yeah. So, and so in the fight with this, uh, we can kind of get to the end of that part where it's he realizes later on that there was no writer named Tim Batali and that it was an anagram of Matt Albee. Which yes. I slightly groaned at the end, but I'm also like, I mean, I didn't get it. I mean, I didn't pick it up, I should say. So, like, okay, you did get me with it. Um, yeah. But it, I just, anytime that it's an anagram of a name, all I can think of is <laughs> is he who shall not be named and the really dumb reveal of the anagram of their name, which I always just laughed at because I thought it was so dumb. And uh, then uh, Tom and Dylan spend a lot of their time in this trying to, like, keep uh, a sketch of theirs yes. from getting cut. Yes, yeah. So they, they, it was addressed. No one laughed at it, but they they really want to get it on the show. It's called Metric Conversion. They've actually been referencing it. It is referenced multiple times in the first half of the season. Yes, and they really are kind of putting their foot down on it and fighting with it on it, which is their development. It's just them kind of standing up for themselves. Yeah. Um, and really, you know, it's. And because they're not writers, I think that's also part of why there's that tension of, like, mm-hmm. it's easier for it to get cut because it didn't come from the writer's room. Yes. It came from from Tom and Dylan, yeah. uh, uh, you know, where just are just the talent or whatever. Yeah, and it, and it builds off of, in the Christmas show episode, they are in the writer's room as well. And so, like, it's, yes. it's a continuation of that as well. Yes. Um, and the sketch doesn't get cut in the end, but we never actually get to see it, do we? Yeah. No, no, of course not. Yeah, so you know, it just—it's you know, better. Sure it was a very... Missy, it's better that way. It's better that way. If they had never tried to show you the show, like Sports Night, it works because they're just doing—they're just doing Sports Center. That's easy. You don't have to be funny or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. If they hadn't tried to, if they'd never shown the show in the way that I think Thirty Rock almost never showed the show, 
I think I think this would have been better received. Well, eh, probably yeah. not. But. Well, Thirty Rock shows you parts of the show, but because it's not meant to be a great show, <laughs> they can make it look bad. But these some of these sketches looked like they were Thirty Rock bits, but they're yes. meant to be again a yeah. great show. I mean. There is one time where they purposely did write stuff to go wrong and bad. That's coming up in a little bit later, uh, but otherwise, yeah, it, it was uh, it was funny. And and I know you you told me to single out uh, in the George Lucas talk show part to or, or to especially watch the part with Mark McKinney and oh that also had um, oh my gosh I'm blinking on their name. I need to look this up real quick so I don't. It's a uh, character or person. No, it was one of the writers, um, and it was uh, one of the black writers on the show. So oh, we yeah. talked about in the first half. Yeah, we didn't know if there was a black writer on staff or not. There was. Uh, well, he should have a credit on here. Um, so in the George Lucas talk show part with Mark McKinney and Sink Henderson, who is uh, one of the writers, who in the first half we weren't sure if there were any black writers on staff. Well, and there is one. <laughs> yeah. So so in. Um... I think it's in, I believe it's in the, I believe it's in Monday where um, Simon has an idea for a sketch that he tries to give to Darius, the the black writer, and Darius yeah. doesn't want to do it, so he tries to hand yeah. it up to Lucy. And so then, um, so that, and then Simon confronts him and some words are said. <laughs> yes. And I should say, um, uh, Sneak has a credit on the Christmas episode, which is the one where um, they're trying, like, uh, Darius is sort of getting his um, uh, footing underneath the, the show uh, mm -hmm. during that. Um, I, you you said there was a moment where in the George Lucas talk show where you can see um, uh, Patrick's uh, soul die, but I don't think I noticed it because mostly... They were just talking about the sketches and how they wrote it and sort of how they liked it and stuff. Okay. And uh, I'll go, I, I think I, they, I think they were being respectful, but I think I could, I could tell there was a little bit of, uh, probably a little bit of just has hesitance of being like, okay, we're not gonna go. We we're definitely not gonna then touch on the sketches anymore. We'll let us let them talk about it. But you know, I think a little bit of being like, oh, wait, I don't have a follow up to this because clearly, you know, part of part of every comedy people think is that they think it's bad. You know. Yeah, but but also like the the idea that Mark McKinney thought that the sketches on the show were funny was really the the thrust of it. Yeah, exactly. And I'd be curious to know more on that but also you know what if he enjoyed his work on it like every everyone who was on this show seemed to really enjoy working on it so yeah I, you know what i'm not, not gonna take that away from them i mean um, and, but, again, and i liked it and comedy is comedy is broad we watched the big bang theory it didn't work for us and that was a hit show for many many years some people might be still quoting Rob Reiner's science schmeyens character now like who knows that might be their favorite no, from, no, from ever. No, there's no one there's no one doing there's, that. No, there's not a single person who's doing that. Anything else from the Friday Night Slaughter that you would like to talk about? Oh, we didn't even talk. We didn't talk about the attorney. The attorney gets introduced. Oh, we didn't get talk about. I think yeah, the attorney so, was introduced in the 4 a.m. miracle. I thought it was this one. Because um, they're Well, well, no, because they're ex or maybe it's. Maybe this is when the article comes out because they're explaining what the Friday Night Slaughter is to someone. I forget yes. who. Is this was this where Martha Odell comes back? I she might be back in this episode. 
Well, while while I'm looking, there, one other thing I know they definitely did that we we didn't we didn't talk about is Matt getting further into his addiction and him talk like he hears the musical guest practicing a song for that week's show and he goes and talks to her and is like like why did you write this song because it was like you know you know conveniently very thematic to him and his life and she gives and 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 she's like you know I get high and she gives him a bunch of pills so. I think this is also the episode where the um, Samuel Coleridge Taylor Kubla Khan oh, <laughs> yes. poem comes up, which was one of my uh, favorite little uh, just fights in there. So with the Friday Night Slaughter and leading into the 4 a Miracle, we have the introduction of Mary Tate, who is the lawyer that's investigating the sexual harassment um, claim from a former writer um, who uh, is claiming that her scripts didn't make it onto the show because she was a woman and because the writer's room was a boys club that didn't have any yeah. interest in having a, did like basically assume that all women can't be funny. Well, well, and, and it was just also a frat energy where she was yes. getting, getting harassed. Yeah. And the theme from everyone that's on the show was no, it, it's not that she just wasn't a good writer. Yes. And they, there's even a point where uh, Matt is talking with her because she's very interested. Because he's like, well, I wasn't there at the time. I didn't fire her. Uh, you know, that's, mm -hmm. you would know what the relationship with these people who are like because you were there when a lot of them were there. So you have, like, firsthand witness experience on it. And he, they're going past the writer's room. And they are saying, hey, um, why would someone get fired because their woman's like, oh, it's because they want to be a bad writer. And they they target in on Lucy and ask Lucy, like, you know, why would they get fired? It's like, oh, because she was a bad writer. And they, they're talking about this person specifically, their name. I can't remember yeah. what their name is. But it's like, because they're a bad writer. There's a bad writer. But the lawyer's getting at is that this is all hearsay because you've all heard that she was a bad writer. But do any of you actually know right. if she was a bad writer? Like mm -hmm. you weren't there, so you, but you're all real quick to kind of say this. This basically same line at the same time. Yeah, I I also think um, this is very um, this is very Sorkin like tall, leggy, blonde who is also an attorney, um, who also just surprisingly knows a lot about everything else because that's because Aaron like. Aaron Sorkin really only has one character that he can write, and he just has, you know, like the girl version or the brown-haired one or the blonde one. It, you know, powerful women who end up falling into attraction with one or have been always attracted to one of the, the main yeah. characters within the show. This is all... The, you were right. This is, not in, this is not in Friday Night Slaughter. I don't know what I was thinking of. Okay. Um, and uh, during all of this... Harriet is working on the Rolling Stones film, and they are trying to get the final shot, no pun intended, where in, in real life, the Rolling Stones member um, committed suicide with a gun, and in the film, she basically negs him into doing it and is like there in the room when it happens, when in real life she was cleared by trial and wasn't even there at the time when it happened. Like literally was like shown to not even be involved whatsoever. It was all just room, like rumors being built up by the press and trying to like, you know, get the scandal going and everything. And Harriet is like, uh, this didn't happen. It really is irresponsible to have this portrayed and like a film about her, this is not good for legacy. And 
uh, Luke is like, okay, but like that's not the film. This is dramatic. Just do the shot, and then we'll be fine. So you can just do it yes. the way that I've written it, and we're you know because it's a film, and you're getting paid to do this. Wait, hold on one second. Are we are we in Four AM Miracle now? Yes. Okay. One thing I told, one other last thing I want to say about um, Friday Night Slaughter is they this is really where Luke the backstory for Luke comes in and he and Matt were vying to write sketches for Harriet who is the newest cast member and he and um, Luke gets Luke writes a, a sketch called Singing Teacher which also just kind of sounds like his SNL character like that like that very much felt like oh yeah I could totally see that um, he he creates a character Singing Teacher that gets Harriet on the show and so Harriet's real success was first success was with Luke thus setting up the rivalry between him and Matt and also driving home what was mentioned in the first half I don't remember what episode but that. Um, Matt it was at his best when he was writing for Harriet because he wanted to impress her. And so he wrote good sketches because, you know, he was motivated by that. Um, so Luke just wants Harriet to get the shot and get it done. Actually, no, no. Luke is intentionally getting a lot of shots because he knows that he is... Um, Harriet's contract says that she has to go be able to go back to Studio 60, I think at like 10 p.m., and they go over that because they're still shooting. And so the reason why he keeps calling for takes is because he knows that that's pissing off Matt and the Studio 60 guys, um, that she's there. Oh, yes. Yeah, and that well, and that happens after the conversation where she kind of is, is defending herself. But, yeah, they keep having to do the squib and the shot over and over. And she – because sometimes it's because she's not giving, like, the best performance. But mm-hmm. at a certain point, it becomes clear that, no, this is him just dragging it on and on and on. Yep. The comedy style plot that we have to have in all of our episodes so that we don't have as much dramatic tension is, of course, between Jordan and Danny mm-hmm. and – <laughs> the, the fake baby, a great staple of all TV shows mm-hmm. and things. Something I've never actually heard about happening in real life. I don't yep. know if this still happens anymore, but it's the here we have a fake baby and it has all these sensors and the technology to know if you're treating it right and it's going to randomly cry and you have to mm-hmm. take care of it. And Danny is really diving in and he's doing great. And, mm-hmm. um, Jordan is really concerned and, like, very taken about it. So Danny, uh, while Jordan's asleep, takes the baby while it's crying out and then takes it to the studio set and says, Hey, guys, can you help me with this crying um, baby uh, chip sound thing? Because yeah. it's driving me nuts. And we need to do it. So they're like, sure, we can help. And yeah, they take Tom the and baby. Dylan take it. And, and they're like, all right, we're going to do this. And they... <clears throat> End up getting its head chopped off with a guillotine in order to get in and access the parts of it. Well, yeah, no, no, no. It, it, Cal comes in with a prop guillotine and says, hey, props just finishes. Check it out. And he's like, oh, let's use this. Let's put the baby in there. And he drops it. And it, it wasn't supposed to cut the baby's head off. That was that was the surprise. Oh, that's right. I guess it, it, they did not expect that to happen to it. And now it becomes not only do we have to adjust this sound chip and get it all fixed and we're basically reset the system so it has no idea that uh, this ever happened to the baby, that that there's no neck trauma done to it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's it's very funny. And also I love that to get to the end, the end of that bit is when they give him back the baby doll during all of it. And Uh they basically are able to say 
the way that they're basically conveniently were able to reprogram all of it, and they're like, oh, it's as if nothing had ever happened. Yeah, I'm like, I'll take care of. Who on staff knows how to program a, a baby center like this? Like, did they conveniently have someone on staff? Um, I, I actually don't think that that's far-fetched. I, a lot of the stuff like that will use very, very similar chips. Um, and so I don't think it's impossible is what I'll say. Oh, I think it's impossible. It just is very funny that they sort of hand wave it and we never actually see any of that process. They just bring it back and they're like, yep, everything's fine and dandy. And, of course, not everything's fine and dandy with it. Yeah. Danny goes they, to gloat, and um, um, Jordan takes the baby, and its head pops up like on a spring, and its eyes bulge out. It's very incredible, and it also reminded me of the Great Mouse Detective, where that happens with some of the toys and stuff, and it freaked me out as a kid. But it was just very hilarious on this. So then Danny has to confess how he was trying to have good intentions with everything he did. And basically, and he's like, I was trying to be really responsible. And he's like, by leaving it with uh, Tom and Dylan and Cal. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Don't kick me out. I still want to be your, your baby daddy to my not baby, but who will be and all that. And it, you know, it, it ends up fine. And they, like, there's, it's not like a question of rocky relationship. Like, it does end up fine, right? Yeah, no, it, it does. The, the The crux of this is Jordan got this doll because she was very worried that she's not going to be able to be a good parent or she doesn't know how to be a good parent. And yeah. Danny keeps insisting, Nick, you're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then at the end of it, it's like, you didn't need the doll to tell you that you're going to be a good parent. You care. That's that's yes. that's what you need. And so like that's the sort of um, emotional arc of that. Oh, a woman who can care and hold a high executive position job. Oh, a, a Sorkin miracle. <laughs> she can have it all. She can have it all. Um, let's talk about let's talk about the the, the sort of the, let's let's talk about the the Luke stuff, and then I want to go back to the the lawyer. Okay. Well, okay. So um, after like after it's like three a.m. Harriet Harriet has done so many takes. They they did the takes where she's out of the room. They did everything else, and he's like he's like, no, we need to we need to get more coverage. And she says, no, you got it. Shots two, six, twelve, thirteen, seventeen, and then leaves. And I I just I just love that part because it's like she knows exactly what what she, they needed and. And also, and she, which which takes of hers were the good takes as well? Like, I'm yeah. also giving you my best takes from here, and you got what you needed. And then she leaves the set and is headed back to the studio. Studio because they were where, supposed to start rehearsing, but they don't have a script because Matt has Matt is eating it. And then um, when when Danny gets back, when Danny gets back, he's like, "Can you just like fake it with him?" Yeah. Ex oh yeah. And he keeps referring to needing a 4 a.m. miracle. And yes. he needs that 4 a.m. miracle. And before we talk about the 4 a.m. miracle, let's talk about Mary Tate and Matt and the weird sexual tension that's going on between them. Oh, yeah. Like, it's yeah. interesting because Mary is a sexual harassment investigator harassment who is very sexualized herself in, like, a very positive way. Like, it's not yeah. portrayed as a negative, but it's just sort of the juxtaposition of, oh, you're supposed to be investigating claims, but yet she'll make the kind of, like, comments or statements that 
in a workplace could be filed as sexual harassment, yeah. you know, it's, it's very pally friendly kind of stuff. And I was always trying to figure out if that was her I... trying to break it down to pull stuff from them. Or like, I always, I just don't share all true your motives in being that way around them. But then sort of as a developer, I realized, no, that's just her. And she's very comfortable with herself. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think again, this is like, I think like Jordan can do that as well. Oh um, yeah. I don't think Harry does it as much, but like that is a that's sort of like flirty um com like communication style from women is especially common in in Sorkin shows. Um also 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 very important the 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 law firm she works for is Gage Whitney, which is the same law firm that Sam Seaborn, Rob Lowe's character from The West Wing came came oh, out of. So this this so this Studio 60 exists in the same world as The West Wing, which is going to be real confusing in the next episode. Well, it, was, it doesn't really make much sense when also they refer President Bush and there wasn't a President Bush in The West Wing because I think it's after Carter. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. It up. I can't remember exactly when it yes. is, but yeah. Um, I think it's yeah. Carter, yeah. So that, yeah, that's just a... Uh, when writers make in jokes like that and they have like really heavy internal logic for all their shows, but we'll be like, Oh look, this is the thing for my other stuff. I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't interconnect these. That doesn't work. Um, there's another one of these. I just oh, remember. No. I remember that earlier. I don't know why I talk, talk about it. Um, the poster in Matt's office is for a movie called removing all doubt, which, which in the fiction of the show is the hit movie that he wrote right after he got fired from studio 60. That was the name of one of Sorkin's first plays that, that, that went. Oh, Oh, I actually did not know that. That's very interesting. Um, and he just used yeah. the same name. It's like, I mean, hey, it's his own, yeah. own title. So, so in the show, Matt, Matt Albee wrote it, but in real life, Aaron Sorkin wrote it. I love that. It's, you know, there's so much of Sorkin within Matt that's layered in, but he just will use the name of his actual play and just say, but it's a movie in this. So, like, you know, not the same thing. Mary Tate. Mary Tate. Mary Tate is also that a presence kind of spun throughout a lot of the. Uh, rest of the episodes, correct? Yeah, she's in every episode. She's in the, the last. Yeah, I five couldn't episodes, remember if she yes. was in every single one of them, but yeah, um, she definitely appears in it. Mm -hmm. No, she is. I so everything here has been very much interconnected. Oh, one, well, no, we didn't talk about the four AM miracle. The four AM miracle is when Harriet shows up on set and is there and basically tells Matt that she shows him over Luke. Yes, and that's the four AM miracle. But yep. we're not going to get it here. But they don't. The, she she it's specifically that she is broken up with Luke. I don't know that it's it's ex like she's choosing Matt in terms of, like when they say it there. I feel like it's in terms of like they're going to work together and she's going to put her put her loyalty with Matt. I feel like the, they don't really romantically connect. To the end oh no, time. that's true. Yes, uh, she just if it was it's this hashtag mm -hmm. team Matt and hashtag team Luke. Mm -hmm. yes. she's like I'm hashtag team Matt. Uh, and I'm hashtag self oh, dad. Fuck my face. Uh, so, well, speaking of fuck my face, <laughs> I'm sure Alice and Janie would have loved to have say that during the disaster show, which was an episode that you couldn't remember yeah. if you actually liked it that much or not. I don't think I, I, I think, I think I, I felt like, oh, we're just kind of filling time. This felt like a filler episode. Like if like, when you watch anime, they have the plot episodes and they have the filler episodes. This one very much felt like a filler episode. Well, this to me though, and I and I know that in the reality of it, it was sort of filler in that they could save on not having the main cast there, yep. and it just had all the featured players on it. Mm -hmm. To me though, this is very, very clearly Sorkin doing his noises off, 
which is one of the most famous farces, and it's about a theater company doing a touring production of some old, you know, British farce of, you know, door slamming, running in and out, uh, escapades mm-hmm. and that. Uh, where the structure of that is the first act you see is them rehearsing it. The second act is behind the set. Like, they literally, you flip the set around and you're seeing behind the scenes of it. And it's during a production where things are starting to unravel because of both tech stuff and personal life stuff. And the third of it is they flip the set around and you're just, you don't ever see any of the backstage stuff. You never break the fourth wall. It is just a performance of the play where everything is just going wrong. Like, every single thing that you could think of that could go wrong, miscues, wrong effects, all that kind of stuff start to go wrong, which are exactly the elements of that which are put here in the disaster show. Uh, at the very beginning, they are talking about a strike that is happening. It's it's a, uh, what's the term? A wildcat strike. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, yes. The prop masters are doing a wildcat strike, which means 10 minutes before air, they're, they're on strike. And they're they walking are, off the job, yep. They're walking off the job. And that's fine, though. Cal tells everyone that's fine. Uh, because they have the prop table all set up. Now, why are the prop masters mad? Because during the strike, Matt made a very flippant remark. I believe it was Danny. I believe it was Danny. Oh, Danny made a very flippant remark. Yes. What was it again? I don't know. It was like, you know, the, we can replace you. You're prop guys. Who cares? Something like that. Yeah, it's like, they're basically, yeah, it's something to the effect of they're just the prop guys. They're just prop yep. guys. And that's what prompted them to do the wildcat strike. Mm-hmm. And they're fine because the prop table's all set up, except the prop table gets knocked over and everything spills everywhere. And they're like, well, okay, um, that's going to be fine. We'll just get it all reset up and, and we'll still have a good show. Except for, uh-oh, guess who falls? Guess who falls underneath the prop union? The cue card guys. So then, like, five minutes before air or whatever, the cue card guys all walk off. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, screw, you know, screw you guys, uh, screw Danny, whatever. And, and they throw the cue cards in the air so, that, so they're scattered. Yes. So, yeah, like they, they put them back together. Yes, exactly. Or they, the amount of time it would need to put them back together is more time than they all collectively have because they don't have any assistance. Because the show is live. Yeah. The show is live like, in five minutes. Yeah, In five minutes, yes. And so Alice and Janie is, is getting ready. And she's like, so is everything going to go fine with all the, the props? And, and isn't Cause, the cue card people the underneath guys, it? You guys in the Prop Masters Union. Yeah, they're like they're in the prop message union, and Kyle's like everything's gonna be fine. We got no, we got the cue cards, we got the guys. It's they're all fine. You're gonna be ready. You got the monologue here. Also, by the way, have this earpiece. Um, uh, uh, why do I need an earpiece? Well, just in case, you know, you know, we need to give you something from the booth. Like here you go. You can be ready to go. Puts her behind. You know, she shoves her behind the set where she's gonna be coming around the corner. He goes up. He's getting in there, and then she's getting ready to go on. And as she's getting ready to go on, he says in her ear, "Hey, can you say uh, thank you if you can hear me?" Oh no, she's on stage. She's walking on stage. Yes. She and she saying, walks out. She walks out and starting her monologue, and then she's and she realizes there are no cue cards, and. He says, you're going to realize by now there's no cue cards. Can you say thank you if you can hear me? Thank you. And everyone's applauding. So they, this is yes. all within the context of it. Uh, the cue card guides did quit. Thank you. I didn't want you to get scared beforehand. Thank you very much. But I'm going to be here in your ear. I have the script, so we'll be able to get you going. She's like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And they and start then, the monologue. Yeah. And she is... 
going through with it herself and he's giving stuff within her on the ear and i referenced it in the beginning of the show where i misidentified stuff because she starts misidentifying like oh it's great to be here in new york los angeles you know (laughs) on saturday night live on studio 60 which Uh to me and the audience is laughing along and to them they to them they're just thinking oh this is the bit the the opening bit is she's getting stuff wrong but she's actually getting pissed because every time she gets something wrong she has Uh cal in her ear saying something and i don't remember uh, what she says but he gives he pre he he pre after rule three he preemptively gives her something uh that she says i already know that and she kind of says it to her ear and it makes it sound she's saying to no one which again the audience finds finds hilarious like they're now in a riot like oh my god allison janney she's so funny and um he's basically like hey you know what we're just gonna cut it short so just say we got a musical guest we have a great musical guest you know macy grace macy uh gray's here and here we go uh and <laughs> that's what sets off those series of events. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of, of stuff that's happening backstage, like a lot of the setup for things to go wrong and stuff. I'm going to be honest, a lot of what I remember most is just the bits with Alice and Janie and her reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the show itself, the things that are going wrong is they have a gangster sketch where she well i don't know is the purse the purse sketch first or the gangster sketch first the the gangster sketch is first because so it's a gangster sketch where she's like a femme fatale and tom tom's holding a tommy gun and tom is supposed to shoot her but her squibs don't go off yes and cal is there going there's like a sound effect of the uh of the um or cue cue sound effect and cue squibs you know at the same time and he says and go and she, Allison Jenny reacts and goes, ah, back and forth, and then realizes the gun and the scripts aren't going off. So she <laughs> just has to get up at the very end of the sketch and go, oh, I really thought you were going to shoot me. <laughs> and then as she's walking off, it's like, I look like, you know, she didn't say obviously swears, but I look like a fucking idiot out there. Like, what yeah. the fuck happened? Where were sound effect? Where are the squibs? What is happening on this show? And at some point during this, Tom uh, and the other, uh, Simon and the other backstage people are like, oh, this is going to be our disaster show. What's a disaster show? Well, every time, once a year, a disaster show happens and everything goes wrong and you get through it and then the rest of the season is great. She's like, I'm hosting the disaster show. I'm the host of the show. It's like, hey, well, you'll be on a memorable show. Don't worry about it. And and she, Allison, is, of course, just freaking out about it. And uh, the next sketch is one where they're, uh, Major D, or there's a, or not a valet. There's a valet. Parking valet, yeah. Yeah, parking valet. And um, they are like people who are from out of town and don't know how it's going. So the daughter is like, oh, should I give him like uh, a bribe to, to be able to work this or stuff and whatever? And they're, they're agonizing it. So she pulls out her her billfold to give him a twenty, and it's empty. So she opens up. She's like, oh, what if I gave you this beautiful wallet that I have? And like again, play, playing it off like a master. Like it, I know it's all scripted, but if this had been a real sketch show or production, in terms of improv, like improving stuff, that's actually like a really good selection. But then they get, get off stage, and she's basically like, "You gave me nothing, Tom. I was sitting out there looking like an idiot. I didn't have my fake money in the wallet, and I, you know, all these things." Yeah, uh, the yeah. So then the the next sketch we see is a James Bond parody where Tom is playing James Bond and she's playing a, you know, just a Bond girl. 
and yeah. they're like, okay, let's sit down and he gets her champagne. Let's sit down and watch some TV. And they sit down on the couch <laughs> and they're like, cue sound effect of the, of the movie. And we hear, and it's like, there are gun sound effects. And as she's sitting there, all of the squibs go off all of a sudden. So it just looks like she's been like fucking assassinated in the middle of just the living room with James Bond. And yeah. it, and she's just looking at it, just and even character just turning it off to it, but she's like, great. Like, you know, yep, there it is. Um, and we sort of cut from that point um, there. And wait, no, no, no. There's one more, there's one more, there's a button on that one too, which is. Oh, there is. Okay. She's she so at the end of the episode she's doing the good nights and a plot that we didn't get into I don't think we need to talk about is that there was a bomb threat on the studio because they made it because uh, some kid called in they, they made a joke about uh, Muhammad the, the the prophet and yeah. so, so so they're very worried about this it's like like Jack's with them searching the building for the for the drugs or not the drugs the bomb <laughs> and a bomb sniffing dog is with them and then while she's doing the good nights the bo- the dog just runs up to the stage and starts sniffing her crotch and yes. she's and she's and then she 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 kind of drops the mask and was like this was awful I hated this there's a dog sniffing my crotch and then Cal's like yeah I turned your microphone off a while ago <laughs> no I love it well, the best part is is that yeah she drops it and she's yelling but she's yelling like. The, the prop masters union quit because Danny Tripp offended them and they didn't have the, the money and the wine. They didn't have the squid and yeah. they didn't have there's a dog. And she's just yelling, yeah, yelling all the specifics. And you're right. And then with the bit that Kyle says, I turned your, and, hey, if you can hear me, you can say thank you. You know, uh, you turned your um, mic off. I turned your mic and, off after, after thank you. And she's like, thank you. And she's just like kind of sitting there. And then he's like, but you can't lie to me that you didn't have like an incredible night tonight. And she goes, Thank you. Thank you very much. Or, or maybe she says, yeah, I did. I don't remember. I can't remember exactly yeah. what point it is at that point. Um, but she basically, at one point she's basically like, I'm going to look like an idiot in the, in like all the, the, the clips tomorrow, or it's going to be on YouTube. This is going to, you know, all these kinds of things. And yeah. yeah. It, at one point, Harriet goes up to her backstage and, and, and she mimics her fake getting shot. And she's like, oh yeah, my God, you, yes. it's over YouTube. <laughs> it's so funny. But what I also like about this episode, which is maybe something that I can just relate to, which is this is a, a this is a thing that happens. Like I have been in productions which have been disaster shows, which are just these things where something goes off and wrong and then things keep happening or like they might happen during the run and it's whatever. I was in a show where once I had a martini glass uh, fall off of the set and crash in there now thank goodness we had a, a maid character so she came out and swept it later in the run i'm on stage and i hear behind me a crash in a bar like a bar with a closet i have to go into and i'm in character talking talking and i realized to myself oh my god the bar is smashed in there and i'm gonna have to be shoved in this closet in character in a few minutes and i'm wearing shoes so it's not that big of a deal but i'm like I wonder what it's going to look like back there. And, like, we already called the maid part in, so we moved in it, you know, had to play with it again. And I looked in there, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's all smashed. And it's that kind of thing. But the one that I can actually relate to very specifically with Allison Janney, which I found very funny, uh, I was in a murder mystery show at a summer repertory theater. I wore that other play I was in, too, was that actually. Um, so a bunch of college kids just trying to get through it all. And I had a... Final moment at the end where I was the villain in a play where essentially the plot twist is, this is great. It's so dumb, it's great. There's a guy who wants to commit a murder of a judge and he's 
he's going to try and get off on the charges because he found someone that had two identical fingerprints to two of his and he has gloves that basically only had those fingers show up on it so they're not going to be able to charge him because of that and they're like yeah but you have a special glove here that has like two fingers cut out so we know it's you so at, at one point he's he's he sh the detective shoots my character because i'm like a bit of the thug and he clicked the trigger and i heard the trigger click so i hit my personal squib and go ah but he the shot didn't go off so then he like kind of clicks it again and goes bang but i've already been hit and i had the squib go so then i'm already falling and it's just sort of falling but the audience just laughed because the gun of course was delayed so i looked like a bit of a boo but at the same point the audience laughed with us so when i came out on stage i did a little bit of a cheeky bit with my bow and kind of acknowledged of like yeah you know it was a thing and the audience loved. and they came up afterwards and they said hey that was you covered you know, everyone went through well, we appreciated that you all just played through it you know it didn't break you like those weird so it's one of those things that the audience is on your side and as long as you plow through then that works and that's what happened on the episode so yeah this was one of my favorite episodes because it 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 was not only just very funny set up and was just top to bottom gags um, which I really, really liked, even though we didn't have the main players in it, which actually, again, I kind of appreciate that I didn't have some of the main players so that we could do that. Um, it, it, to me, was just relatable. I thought it was very funny and just really good uh, farce. I love a good farce. I've been in a lot of them, and I love it. Yeah. I So there's a couple things I want to say. Uh, um, this, is this is playing off of... Allison Janney was on the West Wing, which which Sorkin wrote for 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 four years. Um, also on the West Wing, her and Timothy Busfield's character, the reporter whose name I cannot remember, um, they they have a romance, and so the Cal Allison Janney stuff is like a callback to that. Oh, interesting. So they are they already knew that these two would have good interplay because of yeah. that. Interesting. So this episode really does kind of feel like Aaron Sorkin fan fiction in a way. Like you took the two shows, you mixed them together, and I think that's why I didn't react to it as strongly the first time. I still I like it, but it's it's still like feels a little too pandery to to have to have Allison Janney in here doing these things. There was I did like though that at, at the beginning of the show, right before the monologue, um, Cal says to, says to her, um, "I love you on the West Wing." never been better and she's like we've been off the air for years she goes um i love you on chicago hope and she goes that was christine lottie christine lottie played the the reporter earlier in the season yes yes that i did though those are probably the two most cheekiest meta references that are uh, yeah you know it, it's it, i don't know if i need to love it or hate it but i liked it I did like yeah. it. I just, I just thought it was funny because at this point we've already blurred the weirdness between what's reality and what's not. And I've already, ex I've already accepted the fact that this show is well lauded, even though it's weird. And why does that scenario exist and all the kind of, you know, Mobius strip of stuff you can get into if you want to analyze it way too hard. So after the disaster show, we get basically, which is like a five part finale. Yeah. Really. Um, there's, there, there's an episode called breaking news and there's three episodes called K and R. And then there's the episode called, what kind of day has it been? Which is the title that Sorkin always uses for his, sh like the 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 last episode of Sports Night, West Wing, and and Studio Sixty, the first season is always what kind of day has it been? And then he used it again as the last episode of the newsroom. So nice. I mean, 
there's a lot more innocent or it's one of the nice innocent little things you can do to keep going through referencing. I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So um, in breaking news, um, there's word coming in that Tom's brother has been miss is missing and they find out they find out during the course of the um, night that he they had actually been kidnapped by the Taliban. Um, but they but they don't tell Tom right away because he's 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 doing a show and it, because they have to you know the show must go on. Yeah. Um, while that's also happening, I I believe this is uh, no. It, it, at some point, um, Mary Tate's around, and at some point she gets out of Matt that he actually likely said that she's a bad writer, so don't don't hire her to to another writer, and that's that's where the ret retaliation claim comes in, and so he is really you know, liable for the suit. Um, yes, he's, he's basically being added uh, to part of the suit with um, Ricky and Ron, his nemesis, that now he's on that uh, end of it too. Mm -hmm. um, Jordan can't feel her baby kicking, and so she's drinking orange juice. And um, by the end of the episode, she's getting taken to the hospital. Um, yeah, like Danny is is upset at her. He's like, wait, the baby isn't kicking. He's like, how come you didn't tell me? You need to go to the hospital. And Jordan's like, well, I've been trying to do it. He's like, no, we're taking you to the hospital. Like, this is actually very serious. And you, you need, she basically was like, I didn't know if I needed to bother anyone with it. And it, it's, it's, I, I, I liked it, the progression of Danny's character, but it is one of those things where it's like, oh, the man knows more about the woman than about pregnancy or something. And I was like, I mean, okay. But yeah, it just was like, that was the only weird part for me was that he was the one that ha had to instigate it because she didn't want to to do it. Mm -hmm. um, um, she's also she's also worried about the um, the reality programming lady taking over her taking over her um, taking her job, and so that's part of why she wants to show strength at this yeah. point. It, it's a bit like. I can imagine this being rewritten where it's like, oh, uh, uh, the president of the United States has, has a health issue and he doesn't want to take it because he's worried about the, you know, what the vice president will do while he's, you know, being uh, uh, basically transferred to power during it and, and that sort of thing. Congratulations, you described the second season of The West Wing. <laughs> Did I really? Oh, that's really yes. fucking funny. Um, and so uh, it's this sort of thing where now, um, yeah, she's worried about not showing strength, but also like what's going to happen while I have this baby? And like, is, is that mm -hmm. going to change? Basically, uh, the, the secondary worry is like, are things going to change when I'm a mother? And are is, is the board and everything going to treat me differently? But like not because I've had performance issues, they have like technically a reason to fire me, right. you know, and, and all those things. Um, and yeah, at the end of it, she just is, is taken to the hospital uh, by there. And I believe it's at the end of the breaking news episode as well, where Tom does find out uh, about yes, he his, does. his brother uh, being uh, kidnapped, and he's yes. obviously like just apoplectic about it. And mm -hmm. and and we can't forget one of the main stars of this entire saga. We just have to make sure to get their name in there. Granville Fisher, who's really oh, good. Yeah. I really like him as an artist. I, I like enjoyed his mm -hmm. music. I just found it very funny because there are three different characters within it that make a point of saying. Oh, I, what's that person's name? Granville Fisher. Oh, I like them. Oh, what's that guy's name? Granville Fisher. He's good. Like, it just was really funny to me. And he's a guest on the George Lucas uh, talk show. And he's a great, like, very good musician and great. I'm not trying to make it as the point of, like, him specifically. It just is very clear that they're like, oh, this is, like, 
studio notes were like, hey, we have an artist, an upcoming artist on our label that we want to promote. So can you make sure to name drop them? Because the the host of the show within the show on there is Jenna Fisher. And her name gets mentioned like once, but Graham Bell Fisher's yes. performance is highlighted and his band is, is shown like several different times throughout these things, yes. which just made me giggle. Jenna Fisher, again, tying back to our office episode, another NBC television yeah. alum, uh, like was on NBC at the time. I also like that that um, Cal calls her like a child. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, but then I think, oh, yeah, this is when it was first starting. So she is kind of a child. She was very young at that yeah. point. So so that moves so that moves us into K the Canaan episodes. Um, the big thrust of the plot there is that um, th there's a there's an effort to try to rescue Tom's brother and and two other airmen who were who were captured by the Taliban. Um, a video is released of them like you know, one of those videos where the hostages are on their knees and people behind them are standing with like axes and and, and assault weapons. Um, and so the, this. Um, I forget what his rank is. This this person from the military comes to talk to Tom and try to give like feed him information and, and keep him keep him calm. Um, meanwhile, everyone else is freaking out about this too because you know they, they care about Tom. They care about Tom's family. They support the troops, whatever. Um. So then, um, they they cook up, up this idea that um Mary Tate's law firm Gage Whitney also has a division that does K and R, which is kidnap and ransom. And so they're wondering, can we just buy Tom back, Tom's yeah. brother back? Um. And 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 because you know they're all they're all wealthy from having successfully enter entertainment careers. Um. They start putting that together. At some point, the military guy figures out that they're doing it. And he says, "Do not do this. Do, absolutely, do not do this." And then, um. Yeah, and then um. Tom, uh, they they announce on the on the thing that one of the airmen has been killed, and the military guy is saying like that is not true, do not listen to them, and he's he he storms out of the room and he says he says well, what is what is that line like um. Like, face the facts, terrorism is winning. Or, like, face the facts, they're winning. Oh, yeah, he's like, this is what the terrorists want. And, yeah, he's like, face the facts, the terrorists uh, are winning. And that's the end, like, that's the final beat of one of the parts of this. It's probably um, part one. And, what, yeah, parts of that plot that I like is that um, they are all everyone is actually very concerned and that Jack tried to suppress the news division to not release the fact that it was uh, Tom's, Tom's brother, brother um, because yes. they didn't want this to become like a story about a celebrity and not because like, Oh, it'll be about the show, but they're literally like for, for Tom's sake, like this is a person. Well, no, 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 not just, not just for Tom's sake, for the, for the airmen's, for his brother's sake, because yes. they know that they have the relative of an American celebrity that that's even more valuable to them than just a soul, like an airman or soldier. Exactly. And, uh, and, uh, the, it's, I like, I like the, the, the sort of Machiavellian aspect that we get with Mary Tate and how she's like very sort of like almost like she, she's, she's very casual about how she's approaching this. She's like, Oh yeah, our people can do this. And I also appreciate that when the idea is floated up that, all of the cast members and like Jack are literally fighting to be the one to pay like the it's a one million dollar fee 
uh, to do it. Like, that's it's one of my notes. And all of them is like, I'll be the first one. Drain my bank account is what Simon says. And, you know, Jack's like, I we got the money. You don't need to worry about it. And Tom's like, you know, because Tom basically expresses like, my family doesn't have enough money to pay for that. And they're all like, you, no, this is going to happen. If you, if you want to make this choice, this will happen. And we will do it. And we yeah. will, because it's your brother. And the air serviceman, I, I actually liked his character a lot. Um, yeah. Even though I'm not a huge fan of just military stuff in general. Um, because he's, like you said, he's relaying all the information that he can. And there's some stuff that he can't. Because Tom keeps asking, like, is, is the military going to do anything? Like, what's the military doing? Like, you keep giving me updates about yeah. intel and information from people you're getting, but, like, it's just he, intel. He keeps taking phone calls, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, he can't give him answers. And throughout all, he's been very calm. Even when Tom blows up on him, he doesn't, like... But the thing that gets him the most is that it's basically the, the privilege of Tom being able to use the you know his friends that are also privileged to get a opportunity that other people wouldn't be able to have and also alongside with is that you need to trust trust me in these things that i'm saying which all resolves with the military having been doing an operation and um successfully pulling out um, his brother, because again, you're right, they've yes. released that the, the you know, people have been killed, but they haven't. Uh, mm -hmm. said. One of the interesting subparts is that they're like, we've had our forensic experts look at the film because we think that they have basically interspliced footage together and that the people in yeah, this it's, video. It's, it's are old footage. Them. It's old footage of, the, yes. of someone getting beheaded. Yeah. Uh, but yes, like a different serviceman. We think it's from someone who's not, it's not Lieutenant blah, 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 that has been killed. Um, and then at the end, you know, it's like, uh, did the operational, how's it going? Did uh, the. Did um the, the the private people get there? And he's like, "Is my brother? You know, are they all dead or whatever?" Um, and he's like, "I don't know. Why don't you talk to your brother yourself?" And he hands him the phone, and he, it's Matt on the other end of the line that uh, he's able to talk to him. And I can't remember what he says. He basically says something, and he's like, "Yeah, this is a really expensive call. So if you want to go ahead and take it and talk to him, he's like right here." Um, yeah. but yeah, I just liked that the calm presence of that character and um, the sort of like philosophizing that they get through on it of mm -hmm. stuff like again even though i'm not a fan of the of 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 the military in general like they do have to do really hard jobs that i'm glad i do not have to do you know in terms of like rescuing um hostages and things like that um yeah, yeah I, 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 but it is just interesting that this plot line comes into here after we've just had like the disaster show and this huge farce where all of a sudden it's like, oh, and now terrorism and kidnapping and, you know, real current stuff uh, that was being talked about at the time of the show. When, you know, this we're in 2007 now, summer 2007 uh, with these episodes. So it was very yeah. relevant at the time. I will say, I haven't talked about it too much, but the, the people who were, who were hate watching this show really didn't like this plot. They thought it was really heavy handed and, you know, jingoistic and stuff. Um, Aaron Sorkin loves America. That's part of his whole shtick. It comes out so much in the West Wing and stuff. Um, and yeah, um, I, I also want to say, I think there's some really good dramatic work from Nate Torrance here. Like, I think. Yes. Especially knowing that the show was, like, the show had flopped. They knew they weren't going to have jobs. He still really, really gives a, a good performance in terms of, like, him being angry and, like, storming out of the room and crying and stuff. It's, it's just, it's, he's great. Yeah, and especially because someone coming from more of a comedy background, like that's why he got hired on is is because yeah. of this comedy stuff. Like they all, everyone who's on the show basically did comedy auditions as if they were going onto SNL, but in a more mm -hmm. minor way, and then having to do dramatic readings as well. Yes. Like he um, he's fully committed, and I really love it. 
Yeah. Um, also around this time, um, Suzanne reveals that she knows that Matt has been addicted to to pain medication to pills. Yes. Um, and she confronts him, and he he like says some stuff. It's like a wake up call for him. Um, and then later he talks to Danny. I forget where in the episodes that are that is. He later he talks to Danny, and because Danny's like, "What the fuck, man? I, like I'm an addict. You you don't get to be an addict. I'm an addict." And and yeah. um and and Matt kind of reveals that. He he can't write the show without Harriet, um, and so he's been getting high to do it. And 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 all the while, there's been this arc of like their ratings are slipping, and so Jordan's yeah. job is more in danger than ever. Um, and it's like, okay, well, how are we gonna? Which is funny because it's like, oh, one of their shows is slipping, and now you're gonna be out of here, network president. It's because it, it is the it is the crown jewel of the NBS lineup, the uh, flagship show. Science schmience. And yeah, and so, uh, and I love the performance of Merritt Weaver as Suzanne because she, the way even she approaches it, like she comes in and she is not afraid to talk to Matt about it, but it is one of the, because she walks in and she says, Am I allowed to say anything to you and I will not be fired if I say it? Can I do that right now and get your promise on that? And, and he's like, Yeah. And she's like, how long have you been using uh, or taking pills or whatever it is? And he's like, how'd you know? It's like, my mom has was addicted and just, I saw her waste away from it, basically, to the point where she you know, was waking up and taking just pills all day long and it essentially killed her. And so she's like, I know I know the symptoms. I know what it looks like for someone who has this addiction. And she even asked, like, what kind of pills is it? Is it this? Is it this? Is it that? You know, and you're right. It's and it, and it is truly because she's been one of the most innocent characters because I believe she is the one that's at the beginning. You're here. You're coming here to save us. Right. Yeah. That's like the only line she has in the pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's like a connection to her that he he realizes like. It's yeah, it is that wake up call of like I'm not just like disappointing myself or like other people, but it's like if, if I don't do this, like I'm disappointing people who have respected me and who look up to me and who might be the future of of this this industry and stuff like that. Um and yeah, he kind of takes it all in and it's his motivation to quit. Yeah. Um, and that, that's kind of the dropping of the of that plot line, I will say. Um, oh, while all of this is happening also, um, Jordan goes to the ER because they can't hear the baby's heartbeat. They, they, they go in the prop room and find a stethoscope, and they can't hear the baby's heartbeat. So they go to the emergency room. She gets admitted right away. Um, she's, having, um, she's, she's having some kind of hemorrhaging or bleeding, or the baby is hemorrhaging, and so she ha- they have to have a surgery for that's it they have to operate to take the baby out now even though it's three weeks before the due date um you have baby face dr jd walsh who i kind of thought was a jerk on the marathon i don't really love the parts the times he's on and he plays such a like doogie hauser character here it was i did not recognize that was the same guy is what i'll say um yeah i yeah yeah yes and and during this part of that plot is that danny doesn't legally oh go ahead well, okay. So then, as she's get as she's getting like wheeled out of the room to go get the baby delivered, he proposes to her, and I love that. I love that that part where where she's like in the bed. They're going by. She's like, "I'm engaged. I'm engaged." Yes, that was very cute, and and also that he had the ring on him at the time, and she's like, "How long yes. have you been planning?" You know this and uh-huh. everything, and and he he says he says since Christmas. Yes, 
since we went on hiatus and we started writing the second half of the show. Uh, and um, so she's built in and she's then out of the episodes for a while. Like there's a couple episodes yeah. where she's just not on because she's in that emergency. Yeah, she's so. she's 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 not she's in surgery. Um, they deliver the baby, but then there are complications. And uh, sorry, as Missy was saying, um, Mary Tate's Mary Tate points out to um, points out to uh, Matt, and then he talks to Danny that if if Jordan dies, he has no right to the the daughter because they are not they're not actually rela- they're not actually married yet. They're not he is not related to her. They have to sign paperwork so that he can adopt her and be her father. Um, and he's he's really torn about this. He because it's like at this point it's like you have to go into a room where she's like recovering from surgery and groggy, and give her this piece of paper that's to do this. And then, um, the the but the button on that is at the end they um she wakes up and one of the first things she says after she wakes up was we were really risky. You have to sign these papers. And she has the papers herself. Yeah, and and it's then sort of wait, wait. How long have you been planning? You know this yeah. part of it, and that you know it, there's another concern because he doesn't have to ask the question at all. Like she just asked it when to get on there, and which again yeah. I thought, which I thought was cute. I really liked that. Um, I, I, I like that they buttoned this up. I I really by the end of it, I had bought into the relationship. I know some people had concerns, but I just thought they were cute. I think it's just the overwhelming no, charisma of Amanda P and Bradley Whitford. I think yeah. both of them play this relationship completely the right way i they're a very yeah. believable couple even even though it's a lot of dramatic things you know <laughs> to be thrown in these last episodes where it's like yeah. oh we have the risk of it and and knowing the behind the scenes stuff of why amanda pete did not like this plot line at all and yeah. probably is part of the reason why she is not on screen for part of it because she's like i'm not going to do any more yeah. and then they need to acting around this mm-hmm. and um, also also they have to save money because it's because her not appearing yeah, yeah. I think we can very briefly talk about the flashbacks that happened, which are all essentially about po- it's a post 9-11 and having to have uh, when it's it's there. When can we be funny again moment that parallels yeah. the real SNL where Rudy Giuliani came on, you know, post 9-11 and all that. And they're just trying to decide when can we be funny. Uh, Danny and uh, Matt basically don't think there's any way they can do the show. And they're having to run the show while Wes is ill. And... Mm-hmm. I think it's essentially Wes doesn't he send a message back and says like do the show like they like we need comedy like you need well, to, the, the, to no 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 there so that's one of that's one part of it but then there's also um they're arguing with standards and practices about a sketch that they that that, that like there's this whole thing where like Carl Rove goes to Hollywood and talks to a bunch of producers to say we we need we need movies that celebrate America right now and Matt really wants to make fun of that and the 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 network censors guy like who's the guy from the pilot also came back um same guy he um he's like no you can't do this and then um th- um they do the sketch address and 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 Jack Rudolph says look if there's no if the sketch if the sketch is good address we can let it go but then he does let it go um he he's going to let it go and then um the standards this guy calls Wes and Wes cuts the sketch and that's when that's when Matt and Danny quit. Yes, and because Simon th- the way we get this is through flashbacks is that Simon is talking to Jack and he's basically like, "You broke your promise to Matt and Danny to back them uh, when yes. it came when push came to shove." And he's like, "I didn't break my promise to them. I am telling you, I didn't break my promise. But you have to listen to my story to understand why." And you know, yeah. uh, 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 to get yeah, that. There's also. There. 
there's also a plot where Simon goes out, out of the theater, which is surrounded by reporters, and says some dumb stuff. And then he, that's why he's talking to Jack in the first place. Yeah. Uh, Jack's trying to get him to apologize, and, and Simon's like, yeah, well, you got to apologize for this first. And yeah, and it's it, it was it, that was one of the parts that I thought was a little lean into, is that um, – so, Simon says, "I can understand why they would want to kill us," and he and 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 Jack says three or four times, "You said you could understand why they'd want to kill us. You could say they understand why they don't want to kill us." And I'm just like, "Yes, Sorkin, I want to kill get us." It. Sorkin, I get it. I get like, wow, like you're really leaning into this, but you know, it was something that was talked about at the time, and I'm sure they dealt with at that point because it was still during the Bush era, so they had to think about. Yeah you know, things we can tackle or what we can't. Um, and and I'm sure even, I mean, no, I, I, I was a little bit aged by that point. And yeah, you should have, like, it's not as interesting of a discussion, I think is one of the least interesting parts. It's it's interesting for how it relationally t it shows how Jack and Danny and Matt have history. It is just like, well, this comes at the end of the series. So it's more of like a button reveal of like why this overarching tension has been happening from the start within this is not just brass versus like talent it's no there's some specific reasons why you know we they're questioning if jack's going to be loyal to them to the end mm -hmm. um of it all there but i yeah. i we haven't talked that much about jack i love his character and his character arc i love that he has hmm. to play both sides i think it's yeah. interesting because he's not this is he's not the stereotypical suit who is always fighting for the network every mm -hmm. single time. Like yeah. he is in terms of trying to manage the situations best for it. But sometimes he knows that the best interest of the network is to have the best interest of these people in there as well, which is again, part yeah. of his, where he's willing to throw money into rescue uh, Matt's brother. Cause it's, it's not even just from like a network standard. He's just doing it from a human level at that point. And also right. when he calls the parents, when the, the their daughter gets drunk, like those moments really help it in yeah. there. You know, uh, he's not perfect, but I, also to Steven Weber is very funny when he's playing stuff so straight. Like he is so to a nose. Really team, no, yeah. Yes. And no, but knows how to hit the beats to be funny. Uh, yep. uh, yeah. Just really great. Um, Mary Tate asks Matt out and he's like, okay. Um, and then, uh, so what Harriet goes with Danny to the hospital to wait while, while, while Jordan's in surgery. And they have a long talk about like why her and Matt are not together. And he basically kind of convinces her, no, you have to do it. And then, and then the, so then the, it ends basically with Matt and Harriet meeting at the, at the studio. Like this is after Jordan's okay. This is after Tom's brother got rescued. And they have, a, they have like a real heartfelt conversation around like, why do we keep having this same fight? And then, and then also at the beginning of the show, Matt said, I can't date you for three years because I'm your boss. And, and, and she's like, no one cares. And, and yeah. then they go around to everyone and no one cares. Yeah. He's like, do you care if I date Harriet? No. Do you date Harriet? No. Uh, do you care? And, um, uh, who, 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 uh um, Janice, what does she say again? She says something really funny in response to it, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, oh, 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 yeah. She's, she says like, um, um, do you care if, it's like, do you care if um, we date? And, and she's like, do I have to date him? No, then I don't care. Yes, yes, that's exactly it. Um, I Yeah, so I really uh, enjoy that. And while I still, I don't know, 
A lot of the Harriet and Matt stuff, I like the relationship and I'm rooting for them, but I think it's just a bit clumsy, a little bit clumsy along the way to get there, but it might just be because, you know, their relationship is so circular and, consci and conscientious, contentious that that is where this is coming off with me. But again, I still buy that they'd get together at the end and Oh yeah. I don't know if after the show they end up together forever, but mm -hmm. I certainly think that, you know, it, the show ends with them getting ready for Monday show after the series of events that have happened. And yeah. they're sort of Dan, a... Danny comes to the studio with a box of cigars, which is great. It's like yes. he gets his victorious moment. Um and and yeah, and he's like he's like we did an okay show, but we can do a better show next week because the ratings aren't were slipping, and now like now Matt's not going to be theoretically high. Harriet will be there to be his muse. He doesn't go on paternity leave apparently. He's I, he's back to work on Monday. That's true. Well, I mean, you know, it's his baby legally, but it's not his baby. Uh, but no, it's his baby. It's his <laughs> it baby. is his baby. Um, and uh, yeah, but I it, it ends on a optimistic note, but also it has a. It's, it's one of those endings where everyone's leaving the studio and the lights are all going out and Matt's going to stick a little bit around to write because, you know, 4 a.m. Because he has to write. Yeah. And the last thing we see, which is a very theatrical thing that I sort mm -hmm. of liked it on there, is the safety light which is the light that you leave on a set so that there is always some amount of light in there so that people don't get hurt or don't accidentally do it. But it's mm -hmm. it's called this is the safety light and the final shot was on that and it being lit. And I was just like, that's it. It's not? No, no, no. Um, so Danny walks onto the stage. Matt goes up to his office. When he gets to the office, the countdown clock is off. And he goes and he turns it on and he says, I'm going to make a friend out of you yet. Oh, that's right. That's the moment that happens right after that. You're right. Um, that the sign that we haven't seen for a little while uh, comes yeah. back and it's like, you may have forgotten me, but I'm Chekhov's countdown and I'm here to end the series. Hooray. Yeah. And so that will bring us to the end of our recap of Studio 60. You, you said you, you said you like these episodes. Um, do you have a favorite episode? I, so I'll break it into two different ones. I really liked the disaster show, but that appeals to what I normally would like at any given stuff, which is very fun comedy and all those kinds of things. I think the Christmas show is extraordinarily special. I think the pilot is dynamic and stellar. Mm -hmm. I think I maybe liked Nevada Day hmm. a lot. I think it's I think it's hard. I think it's I don't think I can pick a favorite one. I don't think I can. Um, okay. No, actually, I can. It's the Disaster Show. The Disaster Show is my favorite, and I will just say that. Sure. But it also feels unfair. It has an unfair advantage to be my favorite, so that's why I'm almost why? like hesitant to pick it. Unfair to who? The other episodes? Yes, because I naturally like a, like I've. Farce has been so much of what I've done in my theatrical life. Like, I have worked with one of the best farce directors and, and, and learned from her. And so I just have been able to get cast in a lot of stuff like that because it's in my bones. So I think I naturally am, am being pulled to that because I just have a proclivity toward understanding the language of what's happening in this episode. Okay, well, so apologies to KNR Part 2. You didn't rise to the occasion. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know why I need to apologize for it, but that's where I just felt like 
oh, I'm just loving this because of all of my personal stuff I'm bringing to it. So maybe yeah. I'm overlooking, you know, what might be wrong or off about this episode. But you're right. I don't yeah. know why I need to defend what I like, what I like. The Disaster Show is 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 my favorite episode. And I would say by, by an eek. It's not by a mile. It just because a, a lot of these episodes, mm -hmm. you know, the ones that I mentioned, the pilot, Nevada Day Parts 1 and 2, and... But also the Harriet dinner. I really, I, I like, Alice, I like this show. I like all yeah. this show equally. And the disaster mm -hmm. show is my favorite child. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I have some notes, maybe some notes I've, I didn't get to that I wanted to, I just want to cover real quick. Um, there's a section where people online are commenting about what's going on with Tom's brother. And then um, Matt says something about the pajama people. And this is very much, this is Sorkin's beef with the television without pity forums. He, he, he did it with the Martha O'Dell stuff. He does it in the West Wing. He does it, I think he does it in the newsroom too. Like, he hates commenters online who don't know what they're talking about. That's really um, funny. He, he, he saw just the keeps AV coming club. up over and over again. He saw the AV Club reviews every week and he's like, God damn it. I'm so pissed. Yes, exactly. Blah, blah, blah. Um, um, Amy Hill, who is an awesome, like, um, Asian American woman, uh, uh, character actor, she is, she plays the, the nurse. Um, in the first, like in the first two KNRs, but not the third one. Oh. Um, but yeah, she's she was a crazy ex girlfriend. She's in a lot of stuff. I I love her. Um, Martin Sheen plays the radio DJ in the flashbacks where they're where where they do the sketch. They do the sketch that is um, they do the sketch that is controversial, and then the radio hosts like la conservative radio hosts latch onto it. Um, yeah. Um. Martin Sheen's playing one of the guys talking it during that. Oh, that's funny. I didn't. I guess I just don't recognize his voice well enough to get it. But I, uh, I just, I did, I did find it funny just when Jack and they're having the radio host playing it, and they're like, "Listen to it," and they keep saying comments and stuff. And Matt's like, "Yeah, that's whatever." He's like, "No, wait for it. Wait for it. They're targeting the advertisers and the brands. That's the problem we have." Mm hmm. Yep. Um. And, and, and oh, and one last thing was um. Aaron Sorkin loves to employ this like this trope, which is like, um, this happened early in the show. But um, Harriet says to Matt, "Matt, do you know what a way Homer is?" And he says, "Yes, of course, I work in comedy." And then she explains it anyway for the audience. Yeah, he does like that. That ha that happened again here, and it's like it's like every time I see one of those, I now I just now can like point at it because it's like, oh yeah, it's another one of those. Um, yeah, I I. I the thing I don't like about the last few episodes is it feels very, like, moral superiority. And I think the way that especially his later work really leans into, like, like, like I'm right and, uh, like, th this is the right way to do things. And I think, like, you know, in 2006, at that point, we'd already been through the 2004 election where um, Kerry didn't win and Bush got reelected. And so I think, like, for me, I, did, I just that sort of like blind optimism that the the smartest people in the room will solve all of our problems and everything will work out and and we can do it all without compromising our morals and stuff that just didn't feel real to me and i think i think even now it it still doesn't feel real to me i feel again like i've said before i think the show the west wing may have doomed democracy for all of all of for the united states anyway because everyone in the democratic party thought they could rule that way and they couldn't and it just didn't didn't work um so yeah um I, I I still love this show. I will say I was still I did cry when we got to the the end with um Jordan and Danny and she gets the papers out. Um It's a good show. It's a good show. Yeah, it's a good show. I'm I am glad that there is this community that is pushing back against a very vocal 
minority people now because most people just haven't remembered the show. So it's these people who are just still holding on to this stuff. Um, Wait, also... by these people, do you mean me? Because I think I'm the only one. No, no. I mean, uh, I mean, there's a of, of the people who hate the show, but I'm glad there's oh, okay. I, there are there are the people who do like it. Like, uh, in, uh, sorry, I'm, my my brain, brain just started all of a sudden. I'm also, you know, I'm glad that this led to the George Lucas talk show marathon that they did it, you know, because again, the people sure. were able to talk about how much they liked the show. And so that was just a nice little positive uh, aspect of it. But well, yeah. But I don't think they like the show. I think no, they respect the writing. I'm, yeah, but I'm glad that it happened because I'm glad I was able to hear these actors talk about how much they loved being sure. on it and get good behind the sure, yeah. stories. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know I, you're, you're right. I, I, don't, I don't think that they love love it um but i'm glad that that was i think they to love to hate it yeah, yeah. i'm sure um which is you know not the goal of of this show though it does happen you know quite a bit y'all heard the rocket ages episode so you know um the i had the thought just now right before we started recording which was why does why does the morning show get to continue to exist and studio 60 only got one season that's what i want to know yeah because morning show has jennifer aniston and it's Renate so. It, they even have. They even do the. They even do the thing where someone gives a rant on camera and they compare it to network in the morning show. It's. I mean, it's the curse of. It's the curse of of a pre-existing, highly lauded piece of work that tackles the issues that you're tackling, and they feel the need to have to address it. Like I get it because yeah. it's sort of the elephant in the room when you're doing these things, and you're like, okay, I'm, and it's hard because it's been so memed. Like the I'm mad as hell scene is so much in the collective conscious yeah, yeah, yeah. that if you're going to have a mad as hell scene in your own stuff, it almost seems impossible. And, but I just mm -hmm. think writers just need to move on and like, just not reference, just don't need to reference anymore and just start just yeah. owning it. You no know? one's, no one's going to forget that network exists. If we don't mention it every time there's a TV show about a TV show, I'm probably one of the youngest people where the network or not network where network is a show. Wow. I'm probably one of the youngest people that is a big fan of network still because it is I something I, I, I don't believe that i bet there are college kids who who get, hear about it online they go and they watch it these are you know the, the people who grew up to be like griffin newman or or you know obsessed with movies or obsessed with the media and they're gonna keep finding it it, it, it is it is a classic it is is probably in the popular canon for a good reason that is true and um uh also an interesting thing where uh sorkin being a playwriter and then coming to television that was a uh, movie that was turned into a Broadway show and the Broadway show did not work. Although it was the, I guess he Tatiana Maslany uh, acting on stage and she was great. She had, I had no qualms for her. Brian Cranston didn't do it for me. Uh, and they ruined the Mattis hell scene uh, or uh, not the Mattis hell scene, but there's a scene where, um, uh, the board of directors talks to the main character. I don't want to spoil the specifics. I know our audience is going to know because, Alice, I still want you to watch this. Uh, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. Not necessarily for not a hate watch, but I just think it's yeah. something that you would enjoy. We can make it one because I would love to talk about that movie. There's a lot to talk about in it, but it's such a discussed movie that I. it's also just feels like yeah. I'm, I, I don't know I'm... if I'm going to say anything new about it. I just like how funny it is. My thing is that it's taken I me. Mean, I just find it hysterical. That's my thing I love about Network. It's just the comedy within it. Mm-hmm. So, we should talk about what's next on the Sorkin streak. Yes. Now, I've given 
Alice, the um, Mr. Conductor role, Mrs. Conductor role, Mr. Conductor, Mr. Conductor please, Mr. Conductor please. is from Shining Time Station. So Mi- I was saying Mr. Conductor role. was my father. Please call me Mrs. Conductor. <laughs> so you are, I was about to say, you are our Mrs. Conductor on the Sorkin streak. And so you are choosing what stations we're pulling into. So Studio 60 was really the one after A Few Good Men. We know we were going. So where is our next stop at? So this is this is the thing. Do I want to try to pick something that I think we'll both dislike or will be a little more adversarial? Because I feel like if we can, from here, if we roll right into Sports Night or if we roll right into West Wing, um, you're going to be on board. Um, everything after that is a real crapshoot. Um, but I think we're going to go with the social network because I think okay. you've expressed that you had concerns about that. And I think that's this is going to be another one similar to A Few Good Men where you're pushing back against that and, re- and really questioning that, like the, those concerns. Um, it is also chronologically the next thing that Ed Sorkin does, I believe. Maybe maybe Charlie Wilson's Wars first. Um, and I don't know I don't know how we'll structure it um, after that. I did make a skip list for Sports Night if we get to there. Um, and, and yeah, yeah. Um, Social Network. It's a it's a good movie. Good. I yeah. I this this also feels right because I think we, you know, going from a, a show of his that was critically bombarded to one of his most lauded pieces of work, you know, Oscar nominated and such feels right. And it also is one of the things that I truly am dreading to watch. Why? I don't give a fuck about this story at all. I don't find any part of it interesting. I don't like things where it's like, let's analyze this business sociopath and figure out why they're a sociopath. I don't need a movie to tell me why this person's fucked up. Like I've seen, I've seen it all play out and the consequences of it in real life. So I'm just not like interested in a dramatization of it. It's going to be like the morning show I feel for me where I just am too worried. I'm going to, feel preached at about stuff that I've already like had to live through. And again, I don't, I just don't find the story interesting. I don't find, I don't care about what's going on in Zuck's mind and like, Oh, that it just started out with him being horny and wanting to, I like, don't, I don't, you hold, know, on, hold on. I don't think, I, I think, th- I think you are taking more from the movie than it is actually giving. Well, because I've never seen I, it, I, so I don't know what it's giving. I'm just saying this is well, what but, but the elements of his but, story. But, but you're saying, but you're saying that it is going to is going to you know say all of these things about about Zuckerberg and like I don't know that it says that. I think I it's been a while since I've seen it. I kind of just feel like it's just like these are some events that happened. It's not glorifying Mark Zuckerberg. It's not glorifying well, no, I don't, or any of those other people. I, I don't think it is. I, I haven't heard anything about it. I just. I just inherently have a complete disinterest in this. That's why a lot of my hate watch stuff is on the list. Is that I am just so to me almost like I would rather love or hate something, but like the worst thing I could be for you is disinterested. And that's where I'm sort of at is that I am just so ap- apathetic about this topic that I'm just going to be like, is this just going to be droll? But yeah, I guess I have concerns please, about please, it on please, there. But I'll... Please, please go into it and try to give it a try. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know, I, the here's, right... here's what I'm interested in is that I like Sorkin and I've seen some Fincher work that I'm interested in seeing more of his. I've seen Gone Girl, um, Aliens 3, and just recently this year saw Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And mm. so uh, I'm I'm in on the Fincher aspect of this. 
and and again the Sorkin part of it, but like, yeah, it's just you know topic. I'm just like, okay, you better really zhuzh this up for me to make it interesting. Okay, yeah, because like I, I I have no love for Aaron Sorkin or, or that or that at all, but I did find just you know I think Aaron Sorkin knows how to make a character compelling and yeah. and, and 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 their snappy dialogue. And um, this reminded me that in one of the episodes in the episodes where where they were talking about the the writer with the sexual harassment suit, um. They, um, he, Matt mentions that he'd been sued by someone else who, st- who thought they stole the idea for their movie. And his response was, well, if he'd written it, they would have written it. And that's the exact same. That line is also in the social network famously. So, oh, interesting. If you had, if, if they invented Facebook, they would have invented Facebook. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, that's the stage from pulling out. It feels like the right stuff. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining about the pick yeah. in that regard. Like, this does feel like the next thing to go. So, yeah, and I, I'm i not going to come in this pre-hating it because, like, I don't – again, I have no con- – I, I, I have I, no I, conception I, about what this film could even be about. I, I don't I, even know. I, am, I, I think what you're saying to me is make don't make me watch this, Alice. I'm really worried we're going to have another Minions on our hands. I Yeah, but, like, I don't want to make you not make me watch it. I want, I need to make myself come in with like enough openness for it. Like that's just more of, of what I have to do on my end. But I'm, I, yeah. I'm, I, I didn't veto this at all. I didn't say we're absolutely not going to watch this. I gave you full permission to, to I, take I, me I, here. I, I just worry that in the last five minutes, you have been saying out loud, I don't know anything. I don't have an opinion, but you have a very strong opinion. It's a strong opinion that, against, against, Story is against these types of stories, like in general. Yeah. yeah, but I haven't seen this movie, so I don't. I don't know. I I I I feel, I feel like now you're setting me up in a position to be in that area, and I don't think I'm actually taking it that way. I think I'm just truly expressing why I've avoided the social network. Like that's just my honest opinion on it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll find out next week. Hmm. Oh. We're gonna turn off the lights to the studio. We're gonna be in 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 the the writers' room waiting for inspiration for me, the editing bay, waiting waiting for editspiration. And uh, I wonder when I'm next gonna revisit Studio Sixty. I wonder if I'm gonna pull up an episode here and now. If I might just watch the disaster show. If I need like a a little thing. But I think it's also hard for me to not consider this show all of a piece. Like it really feels like one. Mm-hmm. Very big continuous story that you know we had to take two two or two longest episodes to to break down. You know, I mean, it's seventeen hours of television, and we we got it to like you know about five hours. So like that's a pretty nice ratio of condensing in there. Um, but I, yeah, I, I I said this I said this to you in text, but I think I could give an eighteen hour monologue about Studio Sixty just by myself. Oh, I'm sure, and you, you would absolutely describe how podcasts are like a crack pipe. Yeah. Uh, That's a crack pipe you're holding in your hand, my friend. It is. As we always say to end the show, Daddy's got to get to work. That can't become our actual catchphrase. That can't. I just. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying. I'm, but it's like, it's my peripheral. Daddy's got to go to work. It's my peripheral vision, man. Like, it's not there. You can take Daddy's got to go to work on a six episode run if you want with Fox, but like, I'm just trying to be honest with you. I don't think it's going to. It's going to work. And. Okay, if anyone's listening to this show, please tell Missy that Daddy's Gotta Go to Work is a great tagline for our podcast. 
and and everyone tag me and say you're gonna love the social network. You're gonna love the social network. Use 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 Zuck's threads. Use threads I, to tell me that I'm gonna love the social network. I don't think you. I don't know that you're gonna love it, but I think you're gonna appreciate it at least. Like like I don't know that it's it's gonna get it's gonna get a few good men style reaction from you, but I think you're gonna be more surprised at, at, at getting into it than not. That's my hope. And so as we always say to end the show. Matt is my hero, and Danny thought Moliere was Italian. We didn't even bring up the shirt you made me and sent me. I love it. It's so... I've already taken some pictures of it, but yeah. I keep, this is how much Alice committed to it, and I'm glad I have this memorabilia for the rest of my time. Matt is my hero. And and again, Moliere did have to do stuff with the Commedia dell'arte. Danny's yeah, Matt's right. wrong. He's an idiot. That's my favorite joke of the entire series. Hashtag Danny was right. Hashtag suck, suck dad. This time I got it in there. Woo! Oh, I can see. Baby, baby. Yeah, I, I have a lot of women on this list. And it wasn't my intention when I started it. But I think now that I have, I have to keep it going. So now I just have to, I have to have a binder full of, of women here that I can pull from. Yeah, I was gonna say keeping keeping names on a list usually isn't good. To be fair, this is a great list. This is because in in the list these are all stars. Okay. Um. Let me get my notes. I. Uh, do you want to know how tired my brain is right now from being after work? I looked up the film Josie and the Pussycats to remind myself what's the name of the band in Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> yeah, that's real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I sometimes I surprise myself with how dumb. I just love that I'm working the phrase "Queen of the Bees" into here. Queen of the, like Beyonce. You'll know as soon as I reference it. Queen of the Bees. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, okay. I know you. I know what you, I know what you mean. Yeah, you do. <sighs> I, nah, I, 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 I shouldn't burn pod. We're not. We're not actually. This isn't actually the show yet. True. <laughs> That's not what I'm writing. This is giving myself practice. Okay. 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 I'm making sure there's no other women I'm leaving off. Oh, yeah. Actually, I have to uh, put on. Um, uh, the morning show gals, they definitely deserve Bradley Jackson, for sure. Um, yes, but well, both of them. Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember Jennifer Anson's character's name. Um, uh, yeah, no, you're gonna love this. It's so stupid. This is so stupid. Stupid, but I've, it's just something I've always wanted to be able to do, and I'm really happy that I have an excuse to do it here. Okay. Uh, Alex Levy. Thank you. I have uh, – which, which one should I say first? Who's who? – um, Well, does it do – do you need a rhyme for it, or does it matter? No. No, it doesn't need a rhyme. I just need which one you think would get credited first on uh, well, a list. Uh, Alex Levy would get credited first because she's the more prolific actor, I think. Okay. I don't know. Maybe maybe Reese Witherspoon's more prolific than Jennifer Aniston. I feel like she's she's not as famous as Jennifer Aniston is. Yeah, what? 
What does IMDb say? Okay, I have one dude on the list, and that's fine. But he's not a part that's of the okay. cast. He's not part of the cast. He's a he's just like a featured player or featured bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, Jennifer Aniston's credited first on the show. Huh. Did wonder if Reese Witherspoon's production company worked on this. Do you want me to use a last name for your name or just Alice? Alice is fine. Okay. My legal last name is terrible, so. No, that's fine. I should have changed it. I, re I have regrets. Um when we do our rebranding for the streams are you also going to have uh, not a hate watch on yours or are we just going to keep that one on here uh no i the the thinking was i would just split um i thought you were special out separately perfect okay just just so that if if, if i wanted to point someone to it they'd have a place to go to just get that yes that's fine um because awesome. we're we're almost done with that podcast anyway, right? So like, yeah, more or less no, like, we we have them all recorded. There, I mean, yeah. there are more music videos than, of course, the concert that yeah, is, yeah, would be a special. Whatever. But, um, I I watched I, I watched you special. I don't know. Okay. So this is not a comprehensive list of references, but I don't want to make this like a twelve hour. I don't need we don't need seventeen hours of me doing a bit. So. Okay, I'm ready to go again right into both of these. All right, good so, show. Good show. Uh, love you, love your show. You're, you, are, you are up on router one. Have a good show. <laughs> go to, go to uh, the... VTR. Uh, go to VTR, go to VTR, boop.